Good evening and welcome to the Champaign Township meeting, City of Champaign Township meeting for October 5th, 2021. I call this meeting to order and I would request that the roll be called. Board Member Falmer? Here. Gladney? Present. Iningas? Kyles? Here. Pianfetti? Here. Williams? Here. Beck? Here. Bruno? Here. Chairperson Finan? I am also here. Councilmember Iniguez has just walked in. Chairperson Finan, I move that we approve the minutes of the regular board meeting held September 7th, 2021. Second. Is there any discussion? Council or Town Board Member Gladney. So the minutes show that someone named Michael Gladney was present at that meeting. Now, Michael's a fine name, but it just should be Matthew. That, that's my only comment. <laughs> All right. Any other amendments? Is that a friendly amendment, Fred, or do you need a formal? Okay. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Uh, next item on the agenda is correspondence. Do we have any correspondence? We have none, Your Honor. And a summary of expenditures. We need a motion. Uh, I make a motion to move to approve and put on file the summary of expenditures for August of 2021. Second. Is there any discussion? Supervisor Kornstrom, do you want to add anything? No, there's nothing remarkable there, Your Honor. Okay. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. I didn't see any ordinances or resolutions. No, we have none. Um, is now time for audience participation on town board issues. If anybody wants to address the township, please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. My name is Martel Miller, Champaign resident. Um, I'm wondering how can we get the township of Champaign to get more revenue to help the people of Champaign, the poorest of the poor. Because in the banner, we're able to give general assistance and help them if they can, unemployment and stuff like that. But I don't know if they got to put on a levy or the city can help them. But it's so many homeless. I see them every day. Um, and, and it's time. You know, we got to invest. We, we got some money that came in from the government. We may invest maybe a half million in the people, you know, because we need it. They, they, they need, I mean, everything from mental health to clothes to boots to foods. It's when it's getting cold, they don't need gloves, hats. Um, we got a shelter here that's almost like a private shelter. We went through a thing this summer where they, where they was closed, you know, and they can close down right now. We don't have a shelter here in Champaign. We got plenty of places that we could probably use for a shelter. I see one right downtown behind um, Joseph Coons, the building they use for a temporary boys club. You know, we got people staying under the viaduct. I've been, I took down names for three days. I got probably up 36 people that's homeless, you know. I just wonder what can our uh, township do, board of the township do, and I'm gonna have a talk with the city too, because it's time, I, like I'm saying, 
I just don't understand how y'all can walk out this door every day and see them. You know, these are not pieces of papers. These not these are human beings. You know, they breathe, they bleed just like you do. So I'm just thinking, you know, we got to give the township of Champaign more more revenue where they can hire people. You know, that they can't even keep up with helping the people out getting um, renter assistance because they ain't got enough people. And I ain't here to bash nobody. I'm here to see if they can get the assistance that they need. And, and like I'm, like I'm going to tell y'all, when this eviction will go down in the next two or three weeks, we'll have a tsunami of people. And then I just drove by these houses on Church Street. I wish, I don't know who could purchase them. They were, they were made to take care of homeless families. Now they sit empty today. Three houses on, um, I think it's uh, 502, 504, and 508 Hill Street. Maybe 504, 506 Hill Street, because my, my old neighborhood, I should know the addresses. But we need to look at opening them buildings up. Don't let a land developer buy them and use them for apartments when we need uh, places for people to have affordable rent and places for these poor people to go. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the township? Seeing none, are there any town board member comments? Uh, town board member Kyles. I want to, I do definitely want to thank uh, uh, township supervisor for the work that you have done. Um, would definitely to speaking to the, the, the comments that were just made, definitely interested in having some more forward conversations on uh, if there's, you know, staffing or, I mean, we obviously know the moratorium, and instead of like kind of, um, I guess, you know, I guess getting into the city council, but you know what I'm trying to, instead of it just happening, perhaps, um, you've always been able to bring, you know, a lot of your expertise and us get ahead of it. I don't know if that, I mean, it's, it's here, but I definitely understand the importance of, of looking at it. Um, I was interested in even expanding some of the programs that, uh, one of the major programs was the work program that you um, uh, had implemented. I thought that was a very successful program, and I know that if we could Im increase those dollars, that might have some more impact. Um, so definitely would like to li listen to more of your strategies moving forward and maybe add a couple. Anyone else? Supervisor, do you want to say anything? Thank you, Your Honor, and, and thank you to Mr. Miller for his comments. As, as we all know, um, you know, the, the increase in need continues in Champaign-Urbana and across the nation. Um, and, and one of the things we've looked at over the last few years is, is how we can bring in more revenue to serve the citizens um, appropriately. And we've done that well over the last year with uh, COVID money, and that's been very helpful. Again, we've provided over 700,000 in rental assistance, but the, the demand continues, and a lot of the COVID money um, is ending. And so, you know, as you know, um, I want to thank you, uh, board members, for, that participated in our strategic plan. Um, the questionnaire was very helpful. We had our strate strategic plan a couple weeks ago. Uh, we have the draft now. Um, and and I, part of the benefit of a strategic plan is to, is to help us, help guide us um, as we move forward. And, and one of the things that, that came out of our strategic plan was the need for increased revenue to increase services and staffing. So, um, there's no doubt that the demand continues to be high and, and you know, we continue to try to meet that. But 
I think, you know, to briefly put it in perspective, Urbana's property tax levy for their township is double what ours is, and their population is half of what ours is. And so it's hard, it's quite frankly very hard to meet the demands with, with that sort of revenue stream. So we've been creative and we've been successful, but we're going to have to continue to, uh, to look at, at opportunities. But um, our strategic plan will be available uh, for viewing, hopefully in the next 30 days. It was a really fruitful opportunity for our staff to get together and talk about where we see the township and where it's going. And so I look forward to sharing that with you all. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And if we don't have anything else, our next meeting is November 2nd, 2021. I need a motion to adjourn. Madam Chairperson, I move that we adjourn. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. We are adjourned and we are now at the city council meeting for October 5th, 2021. I call this meeting to order. I invite you to join me for a moment of silence followed by the pledge. All right, we have fire oaths. Good evening, Mayor, members of the council. It's my honor this evening to introduce you to the latest fire engineer with the fire department, Andy Montz. Andy has been with the Champaign Fire Department for 11 years now. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Physical Education from Eastern Illinois University. And he also has served on the Fire Department's Safety Committee for eight years, including the chair position. He is married to his wife, Jamie, and they have two daughters, Sophie and Chloe. Please raise your right hand and state your oath. Hi, Andy Montz. Having been appointed to the position of fire engineer in the city of Champaign, in the county of Champaign, do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of fire engineer to the best of my abilities, and that I will uphold the Constitution of the State of Illinois and the Constitution of the United States to the best of my abilities. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor and members of the council. Do we have any correspondence? Oop, I, I skipped a minute. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead. So, Your Honor, I move to approve all closed session minutes dated between and including February 2nd, 2021 and June 22nd, 2021, referred to on the attached list labeled list B. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign, motion carries. Your Honor, I move to release the closed session minutes or portions of minutes stated between June 11th, 2019 and March 23rd, 2021, 
referred to on the attached list labeled list C with a recommendation of release or partial release. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Your Honor, I hereby move to make a finding that the need for confidentiality still exists with respect to those closed session minutes on the list labeled list A and list B for minutes dated between and including May 19th, 2015 and June 22nd, 2021 or portions of those minutes with a recommendation of do not release. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. And Your Honor, I move to approve the minutes from the September 7th, 2021 regular council meeting. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Well, that's like the biggest chunk of our stuff. <laughs> do we have any correspondence? We do not. All right. Any public hearings? We do not. So the first council bills. Your Honor, I move to consolidate council bill number 2021-135, council bill number 2021-136, and council bill number 2021-137. Second. The purpose of this first council bill is to amend the fiscal year 21-22 annual budget for several funds. The bill includes capital project rebudgets, grant funding, and adjustments relating to previous council direction. The total amounts recommended are a $13,896,590 increase in expenditures, a $1,468,686 increase in revenues, and a $200,000 reduction to the general fund reserves. The purpose of the second council bill is to amend the city of Champaign salary and staffing ordinance for fiscal year 21-22, resulting in an increase to city staffing levels of 4.45 full-time equivalency. The purpose of the third council bill is to amend the Champaign Public Library salary and staffing ordinance for fiscal year 21-22, resulting in an increase to the library staffing levels of 0.95 full-time equivalency. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comment? Please call the roll. Council Member Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Aningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes 9 to 0. Please call the next bill. Your Honor, I move to consolidate Council Bill Number 2021-138 and Council Bill Number 2021-139. Second. The first Council Bill would authorize the City Manager, I guess we need to vote on the consolidation. All those in favor of consolidation signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Okay, now they're consolidated. The first council bill would authorize the city manager to execute a grant agreement with the federal emergency management system to receive 53,600 through 2020 assistance to firefighters grant. As a condition of the grant, the city is required to contribute matching funds to or greater than 5% of the award amount or $2,680 for a total approved amount of 
$56,280. The contributing matching funds will come from the fire department's operational budget. Are there any technical questions? Are there any council comments? All right, please call the roll. Council Member Falmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eninguez? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council Bill passes 9 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-140, a resolution approving an amendment to the Neighborhood Programs Manual. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to approve an amendment to the City's Neighborhood Programs Manual. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comment? Please call the roll. Councilmember Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eninguez? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes 9 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-141, an ordinance approving the right-of-way dedication plat for Palmer Drive and accepting the dedication. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to approve the right-of-way dedication plat for Palmer Drive located in the Legend subdivision and to accept the dedicated right-of-way. This right-of-way plat is located west of Staley Road, north of Curtis Road. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comments? Please call the roll. Council Member Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eninguez? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes 9 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-142, a resolution approving a license agreement for the use of city right-of-way. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to authorize the city manager to execute a license agreement with the University of Illinois to allow the new Illini Hall building to encroach onto the city right-of-way along John Street near the intersection of John and Wright Streets. Are there any technical questions? Council Member Beck. So the, I'm just trying to understand the encroachment on the right-of-way there. And what, how does that interact with the buildings around it? Because there's, it's a fairly wide sidewalk. Does that mean that the sidewalk will then narrow just at the Illini building section or will it narrow the entire way down the street? I'm not, I don't understand how that translates to the remainder of the sidewalk. The sidewalk will not narrow. Um, the building will encroach over the top of the right of way. So the sidewalk will remain in place mm -hmm. and it will be usable. Okay. Uh, but the university will maintain that section of sidewalk there. And um, that's part of the, the license agreement. Okay, so it's it's going to hang over the right of way, That's like correct. as if it's a balcony kind of thing. But I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't, I don't, I don't understand the drawings. But that's fine, <laughs> but because they're flat and not 3D. Right. Um, but that that's it's going to hang out, and it's not going to cut off the sidewalk at all. There. That's correct. Okay. All right. That's all my. That's the only question I had. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Any technical questions or any council comment? Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eninguez? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. 
Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, Council Bill passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council Bill 2021-143, a resolution authorizing the city manager to execute a professional services agreement with Lockmuller Lock Group Incorporated to provide engineering services for the Mattis Avenue. So moved. Second. This council bill will authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with the Lock Mueller Group Inc. LGI in an amount not to exceed $520,666.24 to provide engineering services for Mattis Avenue, Windsor Road to Curtis Road project. And I would note that Kate Swinford is in the audience from Lock Mueller Group in case we have questions. Are there any technical questions? Okay, I actually do have one, um, and I, I think it's for planning, but it might also be for our engineers. Um, this, uh, this project from Windsor to Curtis on Mattis talks about using our com complete streets policy, and I am wondering if it's possible to look at a shared use path instead of just the kind of normal where we have an extra bit of concrete and striping, um, given that particularly that this is a road that's like, you know, 40 miles an hour or higher um, safety concerns. Yeah, so our complete street policy is embedded in our 2008 transportation master plan. And it ensures that when we have new road projects, new construction for road projects that incorporates all modes of transportation, so vehicles, pedestrians, bicycles, transit. Um, it doesn't get to the specificity of what kind, you know, how you provide those different elements, um, but I do understand, and, and Dave can chime in on, on this too, that we are entering the design phase, obviously, for this project, so there's still opportunity for input and options for you know, how, these, um, how the bicycle provisions are provided on the road. I don't know if we'll have the ability to provide a separate path off the road for it, um, but how it's provided on the road can certainly be looked at in more detail. Okay. And I guess, um, I, well, maybe this is comments, so I'll just save that. But thank you. Are there, um, is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? Seeing none, Council Comment? Council Member Beck? I just want to say that I, I'm, ex I'm glad to see this project going forward because I've used this section of road many times both on my bicycle and running which is not a good place to run i can tell you that um and that i've had lots of people comment to me about this being a problem area for them when they're trying to ride their bicycle um so i'm glad to see this happening and that we're going to get some street lighting there too because there's no lighting there and that will absolutely help with pedestrian issues there so thank you anyone else I also want to agree, it's been several years, but I've had people reaching out to me asking for this project, so I'm excited to see it happen. I'm excited to have a complete street, I guess no matter how we get there, um, but I, I guess I would like to urge that we start really thinking about current best practices as we implement our uh, complete streets policy so that we do what we really want to do, which is make it safe and usable for the walkers and bikers who are also joining the cars on the road and not just kind of adding an extra strip of concrete or asphalt or whatever we're gonna use that 
um, still creates safety issues in that area. Um, and maybe can start thinking about updating our 2008 plan as well. I don't know where that is on the cycle of when we update. So with that, would you please call the roll? Councilmember Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council bill 2021-144, a resolution approving a change order with Clark Dietz Incorporated for the Public Works HVAC project. So moved. Second. This council bill authorizes city manager to execute a change order number one with Clark Dietz Inc. in the amount of 15,150 for changes in scope to the original engineering services for the public works building heating, ventilation and air conditioning project. The new contract amount, including change order number one is $105,050. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comment, please call the roll. Councilmember Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes nine to zero. Please call the last bill. Council bill 2021-145, a resolution approving an engineering services agreement with ESCA Consultants Incorporated for the 2022 infrastructure maintenance project. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to authorize city manager to execute an engineering services agreement with ESCA Consultants Inc. of Urbana, Illinois, in an amount not to exceed $428,500 for the 2022 infrastructure maintenance project. And James Sullivan from ESCA is here tonight. Do we have any questions? Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience? Oh, Council Member Beck. This question isn't directly related to the engineering services, except that I'm wondering, are these the final um, alleyways? I know, me and alleyways, but I do love them. Uh, are these the fi final alleyways that will be addressed in this area of the city? I know that there are, that yep, we're those, getting those close the, to being done. Those there. are the alleys that will be reconstructed in 2022. Uh -huh. Um, we have a list, so if you have a particular alley in mind um, for future years. I have many alleys in mind, yep. but the, I'm just wondering, I know that we have a plan that this, that we were going to try to do the campus town alleyways and finish those up and then move on to other areas. And there's some particular areas in our city, in my district and in uh, Council Member Fulmer's district that are in dire need of attention. I mean, to the point where there's like huge potholes that exist all of the time, even though we try to fill them in. And they're the only access to people's um, property for them to be able to park because there's no street parking where they are. And so I guess I'm just asking the question of if we're finishing up in that campus town area, I think it would be a great opportunity for us to figure out what we can do in my area and, and Councilmember Fulmer's area. So, do we know what the process will be for that? Yeah, I suspect the same alleys that you're thinking of mm -hmm. are already on my list. But okay. maybe we, we can exchange we an email. We can compare notes. Yep, we can do that. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Anyone else? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? I wasn't going to say anything, but I just drove Martel, down. Martel, could you give your name? My please? name is Martel Miller. 
I'm resident of Champaign, Urbana. Champaign, brother, now. Um, I just drove down the alley on the northeast side of Champaign. We ain't worried about the potholes. We worry about the overgrowth where you can't even drive through the alley. It's not, don't even look like an alley anymore. Um, if we're going to deal with some alleys, uh, instead of even worrying about potholes, let's get one where you can access. You know, you can't even access our alleys in the, in the northeast side of Champaign. Thank you. Thank you. I bet if you gave them some <laughs> let us know. <laughs> um, any council comment? All right, please call the roll. Councilmember Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eningez? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, Councilable passes nine to zero. We're now at the point of our meeting for general audience participation. I would note that we will have um, an opportunity after technical questions um, on the study se session agenda to address that particular issue if anyone wants to talk to that issue. Um, anyone who wishes to speak, please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. It's so nice to see Man. you back. <laughs> More to militia, Champagne residence. A couple of things I'm going to talk about. One, when we're talking about streets, you know, it's a street in the community called Fourth Street. It's a main drive through our community. It's never been totally fixed. It's always been, I'm 60 years old now. I've never seen them fix Fourth Street totally. You know, they didn't patch it, worked and did curves, and now I think they're doing, um, we're going to do the sidewalks. But let us get a street from Bradley to University, a new street. I don't watch them do on the other side of University, 4th Street, probably three times in my lifetime. I have seen them do uh, Green Street another five times, 6th Street, I don't know how many times, but we never get a street in our community. If you want a community to grow and prosper and people to move over there, you got to start with good streets. You know, our main drag is, is probably one of the worst. It ain't got potholes, but it just don't look like the rest of Champaign. You know, we got all new streets down in Champaign, which had been a nightmare for me when I carried my granddaughter to high school. Um, then I want to talk about the homeless situation. We're going to have to have a community summit, which I talked to Carrie Spears about, where the mayors of both towns, the University of Illinois, get together and talk about dealing with some of these problems in Champaign. One is affordable housing. You know, we, we eliminated housing in Garden Hills, but it hasn't been replaced. Then a lot of areas, they're knocking down houses, people buying houses and leaving them vacant. Um, there's no really affordable housing. Uh, one bedroom apartment right now in Champagne is average price is about seven, I think seven sixty. Two bedroom close to a, a, um, eight hundred to a thousand. Three bedroom houses and can't afford it unless you get a voucher, or you're working two jobs. You know, it's just time for us to look at the housing problem. Um, switch off again. Um, Minorities trying to get work for the city. 
you know, y'all been setting goals for the last 10 years. You know, still ain't no goals really been set for minorities to get. They can get pieces of a contract, but enough to make a business survive and grow, they don't get that. Our school district did $400 million worth of work in our community with new schools. Did not a million dollars make it back to the black community because minorities didn't get in there and there was no way for them to get a piece of that money. We right now got an interchange going on in Champaign-Urbana. Just started, $125 million. You know what the goal setting for that is, for minorities? It's 2%. Out of $125 million. And then you wonder why the community is going through what it's going through. Young black men don't see no opportunities, you know? And, and, and we just got to make them see a future. You know, if you, you watch schools getting built, and ain't nobody out there look like you, ain't nobody out there working looking like you, do you think you got a chance? No. I'm just wondering. And me and Deb talked about it when they built. It's been what? How long Latitude been here? Ten years? And you remember I said I grew up through there every day to not see not one black man? You know, if we want to stop the gun violence, we got to show this opportunity. Then you got to let black business build up because I believe black business is hire black people. You know, but they don't get an opportunity. I got a cousin with a construction company struggling, and his only thing he wanted with his construction company was it wasn't for him to make a profit and get rich. It was for him to give black men trades and an opportunity. Me and him started a mentor tutoring program 14 years ago. Five of the young men that was in it is died of gun violence. We just had a 17-year-old killed last week in our community, and it, and it hurts me that Ain't nobody been brought to jail for it, you know? And, and, and that's not the police problem. That's a community problem. But the community's got no trust, no faith in the system, so they didn't give up. They, I just don't know what we don't do. I, I put out a Facebook thing last, it was Sunday, that said the churches should have churches in, in the neighborhoods and the streets. You can't save the same souls over and over again that's coming to your church. You're going to have to get out of The Bible says go out in the wilderness and collect souls. You know, I ain't a Bible reader, but I know that part of it. You know, but I'm going to let y'all go. Champagne, please help us. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward, state your name, and city of residence. Good evening, council. Uh, this is uh, Minnie Pearson. I'm president of the NAACP Champaign County branch. And I don't show my face here too often, but when I watch you every week, I'm never absent from sitting in front of the TV watching. And I hear so many people like Martel Miller, who talks to you on a regular basis about the concerns that is going on in and around your city, which is every street in this city, you are responsible for it. Everything in this city, you are responsible for. I hear you talking about potholes on campus, the University of Illinois. You have problems that have been going on for so many years. Now, don't get me wrong, 
I know this is not an easy task, but it's not rocket science to know what is needed in certain areas of town and how they are neglected. How do you lay your head on your pillow at night and know that there are things out there that you could do, you have the money for, and you're not doing it? I'm coming here as the NAACP Champaign County branch, but I'm also a partner with a lot of organizations in this town. And when I hear people practically begging for help, other than getting on their knees saying, please help me, nothing gets done. But we can say all in favor, say aye, the whole thing. But we don't see any improvement. And I'm not a chronic complainer because I'm okay. But there are so many people out there that is not okay. Don't sit here week after week, month after month, and hear people pleading. And we don't wanna bring up systemic racism, implicit biases. Those words we don't wanna throw out there because it is a community problem. It's everyone, and you are one of the everyones. <laughs> I hear when you talk about Garden Hills, it's way back in the, in the past, or, or we'll do it in the future, or we'll do it here, or we'll do it there. You cannot expect people who are suffering to trust you. We cannot expect people who don't see hope trust you. And these are elected, you are elected for this. That is your job. I wasn't going to say anything because I'm here for a different reason. Because I don't like wearing this mask for too long. But as I look around this room and I see you here, I want to say, where is your compassion? Where is your caring? Where is that? We're not asking you for. Uh, basically handouts, we're asking you to do for that end of town what you do for other ends of town. And I see perfectly good sidewalks being dug up out on Prospect, Devonshire, places that don't really need them. And you don't have lighting, and you don't have this over there. And we have visitors coming into our uh, city and we want to re recruit minorities to come into our school districts. We want to get people here to come into our town and stay, retention. But if we're not giving them something to look for and to hope for, they'll stay here for a while and then they're out of here. Let's get serious. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward, state your name and city. Hello, my name is Alex Taylor. I'm a PhD student at the University of Illinois and a resident of Champaign. This past Sunday, October 3rd, the, mor the moratorium on evictions ended in Illinois. As a result, over 5,000 households across Champaign County are currently at risk of eviction as we speak during an ongoing public health emergency. If evictions begin in full force again, we will see an increase in food insecurity, gun violence, and COVID cases in our communities. 
This is absolutely unacceptable. Fortunately, our sheriff, Dustin Heuerman, has the unilateral authority to prevent all of this by refusing to carry out evictions until such a time as all outstanding rent debt is waived. If any of you on the city council care about public safety and the well-being of your constituents, then I urge you to formally call on the sheriff to refuse to prosecute these evictions and to announce that he and his department will not be carrying out evictions. It's that easy. All he has to do is just announce that he's not going to carry out evictions. They won't happen. So during the past couple of weeks, I've teamed up with the Party for Socialism and Liberation and their efforts to reach out to the people in these communities and neighborhoods that will be hurt most by, by the eviction crisis. We've reached out to people to provide support against illegal evictions, uh, to help them access the ERA, the emergency rental assistance made available by the state, and to just dialogue with them about the problems they face with being able to pay rent and the threat of eviction that's looming over their heads. Unsurprisingly, these are just regular working people, disproportionately black and brown people working every day to make ends meet. They have children and elderly family to raise, ch children to raise and elderly, elderly family members to feed and take care of. They have, you know, car payments and school payments they got to make. They have medical bills, and now they're being threatened with homelessness. In fact, when I was talking to a lot of these people, I learned that most of them had no idea that there was federal rental assistance being distributed. They didn't know how to apply for it or what the eligibility criteria was. Renters are bogged down by complex and unnecessary bureaucratic means-testing procedures. The distribution of aid needs to be massively expedited, and evictions should be prevented while the aid these communities desperately need is being dispersed. In just the past couple of weeks, we've collected over 250 signatures from people in these communities and neighborhoods all over Champaign who join us, who are with us in our call for no evictions in Champaign. So I urge the City Council again to join us in calling on Sheriff Heuerman to cease evictions in Champaign. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. First of all, I want to know if I'm speaking in the right uh, audience. I want to speak about gun violence. Should I wait till you do the study session, or should I speak now? That's, that's up to you. Okay. Again, I'm Linda Turnbull. I'm a resident of Urbana, but I also have family that lives in Champaign. And um, I'm here to speak on gun violence. Um, right now, I'm dramatized. And the reason why I'm dramatized it because when I'm at home and I want to lay down on my couch in front of my door, I feel like somebody's going to come shooting. I don't know where this comes from, but it comes from, I do know where it comes from. It comes from a friend of mine getting shot five times in Champaign and for something she didn't even do. I mean, she didn't even have nothing to do with it. Not only that, it comes, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry about that. Okay, I'll call you right back. Also, it comes from, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Also, it comes from around the corner, something like a family member had to lay on top of his wife to keep her from being murdered. 60 shots went through the house. Also, it comes from, sorry about that, sorry. Also, it comes from 
Another neighbor, she got killed, and uh, her um, son's girlfriend that was pregnant got shot and paralyzed, I believe. So I think that's where the drama came from, I mean, being dramatized. So what I'm saying is that we need help. We need something for somebody to help us. I mean, the people are not helping us because they're not talking. And they're not going to talk because they haven't talked. There's been so many lives lost. Enough is enough. A school bus got shot up with kids on it. Not only that, a person that went to Central Centennial High School got killed. When is this going to stop? It's not going to stop because there's people that's doing it feel like they can keep doing it because nothing been done to them. They just feel like they can go around and terrorize our city. Hallelujah. But that is not true because I know all of you guys are sitting on this board and you make good decisions. And we need to get up. I don't care if it's CTT, CTC cameras or it needs to be license plates readers, but we need some help other than the people in the community. Because the people in the community are not helping the police, they're not helping themselves, they're not helping their family members, they're not doing none of that. So right now, we need other help, okay? If we did get the cameras, they wouldn't be scared, they wouldn't be intimidated. If we did get the license plate readers, they wouldn't be scared and intimidated. But you know what? We would have some type of data. We would have some type of data, whoever was in that area that time, we could pull up and see license plates. And that way we can go from there. But something is better than nothing. I mean, I almost just literally cried tears by my city. Hallelujah, I lived here so long. I've never seen nothing like this. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And it makes me feel fearful of my family. We don't know who the people we around, if they're some of the shooters, who these people are. But you know what? We need to get these people off the streets. And the only way we're going to get them off the streets is those cameras or something else. But the people are not helping you. They're not helping the police. They're not helping anyone. So I just hope and pray that you guys, when you get some funds or some money, that you make some good decisions to help get these people off the street. You guys have a blessed day, and please be safe. We all need to be safe because we don't even know what we're in, who around us, who is the shooter. We could be talking with this shooter every day. We don't know. We could be around the shooter every day. We don't know who these people are, and it's scary. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address council? Please step forward. Please state your name and city of residence. Hello, my name is Leslie Krause from Champaign, Illinois, uh, mayor and council. Um, I just wanted to speak really briefly since it was brought up on a council bill about the Complete Streets Project. I know a lot of people come here, obviously, and present criticisms and complaints, and you're probably pretty accustomed to that. I actually want to express my gratitude um, because yeah, I know I've been obviously here sharing concerns too about things, but I want to at least express some gratitude uh, on behalf of pretty much pedestrians, bicyclists, and so forth. Having grown up in Champaign, I've seen so many improvements to the infrastructure for bicyclists and pedestrians since the 80s when I moved here with my mother and I went to Westview and Kenwood and you know, I mean, like where Kenwood is, most of those streets didn't even have sidewalks. I, I don't know if there are sidewalks there now, but 
I do know that in many of the areas that I have walked over the years to get to work or to school or to run errands and so on and so forth, that there were pretty much no sidewalks at all, even on major streets like Springfield Avenue between um, Mattis and uh, Randolph had no sidewalks. And then the sidewalk was uh, implemented on the north side of that street, which is, I know you had to probably work with the state on that because that's the state highway. So that's obviously always trying to work through those is complicated. Uh, and I know many sidewalks have had issues, of course, with like tree roots growing up. And so the sidewalks were always uneven. I know that the city had done a major improvement project on Mattis Avenue between John Street and Kirby, uh, removing many trees or, or adjusting the sidewalks and repaving them. So now that they're completely even there, because that was always difficult since I would usually do my mother's laundry and I have to push a cart on that sidewalk and it was very difficult. Uh, it was also very difficult to get down Neal Street, another state highway, of course, but um, or just between Green Street and uh, Kirby, there was never a continuous sidewalk. And I think Gladney actually spoke to that at one point about the continuity of sidewalks in this town and how, how sometimes that's very concerning or frustrating when you, you walk and then suddenly you get somewhere and there's just no more sidewalk. So, um, but I know that when Walgreens was constructed there at Kirby and Neal, that that sidewalk was finally completed. There was also a sidewalk section completed um, near Hessel Boulevard uh, and State Street. Um, and so um, that's, that was definitely appreciated. That these, and of course, the viaducts have always been a concern as well. Um, Green Street viaduct, Logan Street viaduct were always just a hit and miss with vehicles because the sidewalks were too narrow or they didn't exist. And so I just wanted to express my gratitude that the city is making ongoing improvements like these. I know there's still a lot of work to do, so I'm not saying it's all finished and perfect, but there's obviously hundreds of miles of sidewalks to work on in the city. So I want to at least express my gratitude and appreciation. And thank you, and please continue the good work. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address council? Paul Anderson, Champagne. On the night of August 19th, uh, 2021, around 8.30, shortly after sunset, a young woman was struck by a car on Duncan Road in Champaign. She died at 2.56 p.m. the next day. Lizzie Warner was 29 years old. She was a lifetime resident of Champaign, a graduate of Uni High, Knox College, and a PhD candidate at Northeastern University. Lizzie was home from Northeastern, working on her dissertation for her PhD. On the evening of Thursday, August 19th, Lizzie was walking north on Duncan Road, just north of Kirby Avenue, where four lanes merged to two, just where the uh, row of hedge trees begin. At that point, she crossed the road and was struck by a car that was headed south. She died the next afternoon from multiple traumatic injuries. The reason I'm bringing this up is because of the sad state of Duncan Road between, between Kirby and Springfield Avenues. It is my belief that the city of Champaign shares in the responsibility of this accident and thus the death 
of Lizzie Warner. According to Chris Solokowski, assistant city engineer of transportation for the city of Champaign, the Duncan Road project was originally scheduled to take place between 2006 and 2009. Duncan Road was to be scraped to the dirt and rebuilt with concrete, have shoulders and sidewalks were to be added. The hedge trees were to be cut down. The project between Springfield and Kirby has been pushed back several times and is now projected for construction somewhere around the year 2033. According to Solokowski, there are several reasons for the delay. The recession of the late 2000s, COVID, the emergence of time-sensitive funding needs, needs related to IDOT's replacement of multiple interstate overpasses, each requiring city participation to add pedestrian and bicycle facilities. It has been my long contention that the neighborhoods of Holiday Park and Ridgewood have been ignored in the Duncan Road project. The first section of Duncan Road was completed between Kirby South to Curtis Road. That was several years ago. This affected the neighborhoods of Robeson Meadows, Cherry Hills, Robeson Meadows West, the crossing. The old asphalt was taken out, hedge trees were cut down, the new road was paved with concrete, shoulders were added, as were sidewalks. After that, the second section of Duncan Road was completed between Springfield, north to Parkland College. This serves the businesses north of Springfield, the relatively new neighborhoods of Parkland Ridge and Timberline, as well as Parkland College. I no longer live there, but I lived in Holiday Park for eight years and in Ridgewood for 31 years. My son lives in Ridgewood. Two sisters live in Holiday Park. When I moved to Holiday Park in 1978, there was no Cherry Hills, Robeson Meadows, The Crossing, Parkland Ridge, or Timberline. People in Holiday Park and Ridgewood have been paying property taxes since the 1960s. Why are they being underserved? What is being done on Duncan Road to improve these neighborhoods? They get a new layer of asphalt, a Band-Aid, every year to fix the potholes on these heavily traveled roads. There are no shoulders for residents to park their cars. Many of them park them on their own grass, and there are no sidewalks for them to walk on. Meanwhile, the newer, richer, neighborhoods with higher real estate taxes get new paved roads with shoulders and sidewalks. I've been told by the city that this is not the case, but that this is the most expensive section to rebuild. But the fact remains, the people that have been paying the taxes the longest will be the last, if ever, to get a new Duncan Road. The fact that the original project has been pushed back 25 years adds insult to injury. I called Champaign Public Works earlier this year about all the potholes in the road, and within a week it was repaved with the annual new layer of asphalt. Still, the road is dangerous. It's narrow and bumpy. There's no dividing lanes between the, dividing lines, between the lanes 
and is even more dangerous at night when it's raining. The hedge trees are right up against the road. There is no place for residents to park, and there is no sidewalk to walk in. Mr. Anderson, your time is up, so if you could wrap up, we'd appreciate it. One more minute? <laughs> I apologize, but we limit everyone to five minutes, so we have time to hear from multiple people. I think you get my point. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward. Ms. Pearson, you have already spoken. Yes, I have, but I, I didn't know we were in that session, but that's okay. We're, we're not on our study session yet, no. Okay. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Seeing none, council comment. Councilmember Kyles. There definitely is um, a lot of work to be done, a lot, lot, lot of work to be done. And sometimes in the game of, of life, if you compared it to uh, a game of football, you're down three touchdowns. You don't really do a lot of celebrating when you make one touchdown. But one of the things that I can be, I was actually pretty excited about coming into this uh, council tonight was that we had our goal setting and this was, a, I've done goal setting for a few years now. And this wasn't the typical goal setting where we sat around and had a bunch of charts and things like that. We had real, conver we had, not that we don't have real conversation, but at times we, we raised our voice at each other. We got a little bit, you know, contentious. And the topic that we were, that we spent most of our time talking about was two. Number one, it was gun violence. And two, we talked about affordable housing. And so, uh, uh, Ms. Martell, I think Martell Miller, you, you bring up great points. Uh, but I wanted to, I didn't want you to leave knowing that, you know, or Mrs. Pearson knowing that, or anyone, that these are not the topics that we are not, um, um, not only toiling over, but figuring out what we need to do. And so, in fact, um, there was a sense of urgency that was, the, that was discussed. Now, we don't have any plans um, put before to put for you tonight, but I think that it was important to at least articulate that when you come up and speak, instead of, you know, um, when you come up and speak, it's their words are not being uh, washed over. Um, in fact, in fact, we're taking them to heart, and we're going to, to back into uh, the war room to dialogue and, and figure out what we need to do to get this, because these are real issues. Anyone else? Councilmember Williams. Um, I wanted to just say that I definitely agree with um, um, Mr. Miller and Mrs. Pearson as it relates to diversity um, in this city. Um, we, t we say minorities, but that, that we have to be specific in what we earn our acts. We were looking for African-American companies to be participate in, in the economic development. Well, just when it comes to construction and being a part of the city, and that, that's in all areas. That's, so, that's, so that's what I wanted to kind of to touch on, that we have to make sure we are specific. Minorities is a whole list of individuals, but yet at the very end of that piece is African-Americans, and that's what we don't want. So we want to get those, we want to get more African-Americans 
uh, companies into into in, into business with our with our city to, to whatever that whatever that looks like. Um, if that's construction, if that's inner workings within the city, partnerships outside. But yes, we want to get more of those. And, and I hope within my tenure here at the, uh, working for the city, that, that that's something we can look forward to and, and, um, and, and, and you know, accomplish. Like, like Mr. Miller said, they, we, are, we, we are people who are driven by examples. And if there's not a good example of something, then we, we don't have, there's, there's nothing to look forward to. So we, it's, it's, we're tasked people. We, we want, we want to, we, we, if we see somebody, these are the individuals who are with these guns and drugs, they see individuals who are making it. I mean, I mean in, a, in a sense where they, they can, they're finding a way to survive. And so, that's, and so if I see somebody making so much money doing this, that, and the other, and doing that, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Hey, how do, I, how do I get like that? But we have to be able to switch that energy to something else positive instead of negative. You understand what I'm saying? So um, that's what I want to say there. Uh, thank you all for your comments. Thank you. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. I just wanted to echo um, what uh, Deputy Mayor Kyles had said. And, um, you know, sometimes it seems like people are saying stuff and the voices aren't really caring to us. But... I, I think this council really is um, being intentional with what we are doing and um, what we are talking about. And uh, our goal setting was a little bit different. And, and I think even going into it, I was uh, proud of the fact that um, we had already put uh, about 11 to 12 million of the ARPA money to make some substantial changes to Garden Hills. Although, you know, we can't do things quick enough, and I know it, it may not seem like um, it's enough right now, but, but for us, we are, we are hearing what is being said, and we are trying to make those changes um, so that there is hope. You know, Ms. Pearson, what you're saying, we are hearing, and we're trying to have it be so that people don't feel as vulnerable because we understand that if we want to start making those changes, it, it comes as a community, and we are all part of that community. So um, thank you um, for those words. Thank you, Mr. Miller um, and Ms. Turnbull. We, we understand we are, we are part of it. We, you know, probably at night do feel much the same way. That being said, I also do um, want to share some gratitude um, to our officers. Um, as not just a council member, I'm also a mom. Um, the events of last week at Centennial, um, I am grateful to the work that has been done to keep the students safe, the partnership with Unit 4. Um, I had a lot of people reach out to me, grateful not only for your presence there, but also for the communication that was very helpful um, to know that um, things were being done and that um, things were being taken seriously. So um, I, I just wanted, Chief, I know I, I mentioned to you privately, but um, and goal setting, I um, was asked to do it publicly as well, just to thank um, everybody that is coming together to try to make our community um, what it should be and um, what it can be. So thank you. Anyone else? Councilmember Bruno. 
I appreciate the remarks of everybody spoke tonight, um, especially Martel, who has brought uh, up uh, the needs of the less fortunate in our community on more than one occasion. And I think he's spot on with those comments. Uh, Martel took me aside a week or two ago and said, City of Champaign needs to build and operate its own homeless shelter. And I thought that was a pretty, uh, uh, an idea that was not within uh, things that we have previously seriously considered. But I think now that it's worth at least serious consideration. I don't know if we'd ever get to that decision to do that, but I do think it's a good faith suggestion and in need of serious consideration. Um, but I, with all due respect, Martel and Ms. Pearson, I'm gonna address the, the notion that there are parts of town that are getting all this um, first class treatment on their streets and roads but it's not the northeast part of Champaign. I don't think that's true. I, I brought up on Google Maps just now, 4th Street, because I think if I heard him right, that's what Martel mentioned was 4th Street. Well, 4th Street from Bradley to University Avenue is completely new concrete from curb to curb. Martel, you're gonna have to show me where it's not concrete from curb to curb because it appears to be concrete from curb to curb. But, but I digress. That my point is, there aren't some other neighborhood that's getting uh, different treatment. We have a pretty scientific approach uh, in the Public Works Department to determine what streets come next. Now neighborhoods might have different needs and different attention, but the streets in Champaign are dealt with on a pretty scientific basis. The snow plowing is scientifically figured out. The pavement index it tells us what street needs to be paved. And there's not enough money to feed the hungry, clothe the, put roof over the homeless, and do Duncan Road, and deal with Garden Hill stormwater, and deal with the rash of violence we're experiencing in our community. There isn't enough money to go around. And so there, we're not wasting it on some other high-end neighborhoods uh, vanity project. If, if you think we are, please identify the project where you think we're spending city money. That Not right now, Martel, but I'll listen to you. I'll listen to you. Um, but, but there are many needs and limited resources. And we're trying to dole those things out uh, in, in a way that makes sense for the whole community. Uh, but it's, that is a difficult task and one in which reasonable people disagree about what needs attention next and how we prioritize those things. So your suggestions are made in good faith, I believe, and they are helpful and we're going to talk about them but we're going to have a, I'd like us to see, have a fair and honest con conversation about where is this money going? What, where are we wasting it? If you think we're wasting your tax dollars, be specific. What do you think we, sh we did that we shouldn't have done? 
I'm, I'm happy to hear that articulated. Um, you know, every department thinks they need more staffing. We're short-staffed in a lot of different areas. COVID-19 uh, exposed some of the, uh, those weak spots. But, you know, there's, uh, there are many needs in this community, and I don't think our city council is um, throwing money away in neighborhoods that uh, don't need it. It's just the way I see it. Anyone else? I, um, I too wanna uh, thank our speakers for raising important issues. Um, in particular, Mr. Anderson, um, I, wanna, I wanna echo Mr. Bruno's thoughts about how we put together which streets we work on, that um, public works and planning come to us with a capital improvements plan um, and they, we match the funding and we look at pavements and it, it is a very, I don't wanna say scientific, but there is a metric for it. I also understand and I drive that stretch of road multiple times a day. Um, and particularly in early morning or in the evening when it's dark, I find it to be one of the most hazardous stretches of road. It's just really hard to see people. Um, there's a spot near Kirby where people, I think, um, get off the bus or they're, they're crossing because they want to get to the grocery store there. And um, there's oftentimes people in dark clothing crossing back and forth. It is hard to see and um, can be treacherous both for pedestrians. I've walked that stretch with Councilmember Aniguez knocking on doors, and I, it's treacherous walking with no sidewalks, and it's also treacherous driving. Um, that said, I know that our staff um, looks at these in, in conjunction with all the needs that were raised by Ms. Pearson and Mr. Miller and, and the rest of the community. And we have to have a reasonable metric we're looking at all of that that treats every neighborhood as fairly as possible. I see Duncan not just as a neighborhood road as you presented it, but it's really a major arterial um, that is being used. And we do have, we have different funding that we can also use toward arterial roads. So I don't know if that helps to push it up. But I, you know, I also know that we had matching funds that were necessary for the bridge projects and MCOR. And when that money becomes available, we have to take advantage of those opportunities as well, which means we have less money in our road fund for available projects for a while. So I am sure that our staff has heard your concerns. Um, I don't know if there are any temporary things that can be done to make that a little less treacherous and while we wait. Um, but I, you know, I would ask staff to think about that possibility as well. So with that, we need vouchers. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the vendor payments the amount of $1,156,794.70. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign, motion carries. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the payroll of September 17th, 
2021 in the amount of $1,963,074.96. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the investments of September 17th, 2021 in the amount of $5 million. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. We are now in our study session. I'm going to give staff a minute to come forward. City Manager, are you introducing this topic? I'll do a brief introduction, Your Honor. Um, I want to thank members of the City Council for their recognition of the work of our police department as we are facing a gun violence crisis that is impacting everyone across this community. Um, and given our staffing challenges um, and short staffing, they continue to work tirelessly to investigate and try to solve some of these um, very difficult crimes um, that are having such tremendous impacts on families and neighbors and residents across the city. Um, tonight's study session, we'd like to discuss with you some possible technologies that could be an asset to the city as we try to make an impact on gun violence. In addition to the expertise of our staff, there are technologies being employed by other communities that could be tools that will help us intervene in this gun violence crisis. And so tonight, we have the Police Department Administration to present to you some information on our research and possible technologies and seek your input on whether or not we should proceed with any of them. So I'm going to turn this over to Interim Police Chief Matt Henson to introduce our topic. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members. There's been a significant increase in community violence over the past eight years, and the city has made a significant investment in time and resources directed towards reducing that violence. The city is committed to continuing the work of the community coalition to include the coordination of community anti-violence initiatives, and the police department is also moving back to the district concept to reinforce neighborhood problem solving and build community engagement. The district concept will look somewhat different than it did in years past. It will be divided, dividing the city into three districts as opposed to four. There will be a west district that Lieutenant Lack will ultimately be in charge of. There will be a north district. There will be University North with a prospect being the divider that Lieutenant uh, Andre Davis will be in charge of. And the south district will be prospect as the west divider in University south and that will be lieutenant manzana police administration has researched several technologies when whose implementation could be effective in responding to community gun violence tonight police staff is seeking council direction concerning the lease of automated license plate readers or alprs and the use of additional security cameras i will now turn the presentation over to deputy chief nathan rath as he provides an overview on recent gun violence There's been a significant increase in gun violence that has only continued to grow. Staff has gained considerable experience in addressing community violence. Increasing violence and recurring challenges indicate a need to strengthen our approach. In 2020, Champaign experienced a record number of confirmed shooting incidents, shooting victims, and homicides. If you look at the data in the table here, you'll notice that over the last five or six years, the number of gun incidents and gun violence has gone up considerably. 
And as of two weeks ago, when we compiled this data, we were at 197 uh, incidents. We are now up to 205 as of today. The 205 incidents represents, uh, it eclipses last year's total uh, for the entire year. It was 189 incidents for the entire year, and nine months into it right now, we're sitting at 205. So the data and the uh, trend is definitely pointing upward, and gun violence and gun incidents, unfortunately, are on the rise. City staff through the Community Coalition have been working diligently to respond to the increase in gun violence by using a four-pronged approach focusing on victims and their families, neighborhood and community supports, support for formerly incarcerated individuals, and law enforcement activity, activities to address gun violence. The City and Police Department are trying to provide resources and help to those victims directly affected by gun violence and the families that are unfortunately also affected. Neighborhood and community supports. We have outreach going to large complexes when they are um, unfortunately the victims of gun violence and the families that live there. We have the virtual neighborhood leaders forum, community engagement by officers, and the support of the Crime Stoppers Gun Bounty Reward Program. Support for formerly incarcerated individuals includes the, uh, the police department's participation in CU Fresh Start since its inception and the Champaign County Reentry Council and first followers to name a few. Some of the law enforcement activities that we've been involved with over the last couple of years to help address gun violence is that, again, we have been a participant in the Community Coalition and the CU Fresh Start since both of their inceptions. We have been able to obtain the NIBIN system, which stands for National Integrated Ballistic Information Network, which essentially allows uh, the evidence at some gun scenes to be scientifically compared to the evidence collected at other gun scenes to see if uh, guns, ammunition, and, and uh, incidents are related by the people that are involved. We are the lead agency in the Street Crimes Task Force and work closely on a frequent basis with our local, state, and federal partners. We'll now turn it over to John Swenson. As Deputy Chief Rath expressed, there's been a clear recognition on the part of police administration that we need to do some things to strengthen our response to community violence. And one of the things that we did in response to that recognition was identify a small group of law enforcement-related technologies that we could look at that we believed would be beneficial if incorporated into our response to community violence. Uh, there's really five pieces of technology that we looked at. The first was security cameras. These are public cameras. They're visible to the public. Uh, they're clearly marked with signage to let individuals know that they're being recorded. The second thing we looked at was investigative cameras. These are typically concealed cameras. They're used for long-term investigative reasons, usually um, during the investigation of major crimes. Um, we looked into a video surveillance trailer, which is a resource that can be rapidly deployed in the event of an unplanned event, uh, can also be proactively or strategically deployed in advance of a large-scale public event, um, such as the Illinois Marathon, the Freedom Celebration or Freedom Fest, um, Taste of Champagne, et cetera. Uh, the fourth item we looked at is what is referred to as an automated license plate reader. Those are also visible um, Technology pieces that will be placed or could be placed throughout the city. Um, basically, they work to capture an image of a license plate and then go through a process to convert that image into a series of alphanumeric characters, typically known as a license plate. 
and then that read is compared with various databases that cont contain vehicles of interest, um, and those are typically from like the National Crime Information Center, the Law Enforcement Agency database, um, could be an Amber Alert, missing persons, et cetera. Security cameras is the first thing that we evaluated, and um, it's pretty obvious, I think, to everyone that they're already enjoying widespread private use. They're in use by businesses, restaurants, bars, retail stores, banks, gas stations, and they're also very popular with private property owners. We're, we've seen quite a bit of, uh, of an increase in security camera usage by units of local government, um, to include the University of Illinois, Unit 4, Champaign-Urbana Mass Cha uh, Transit District, the Park District, even the city of Champaign who has internal and external security cameras located at the city building, the police department, the library, public works, MedCAD, et cetera. Um, research shows that there are a number of benefits to security cameras, the first of which is the increased perception of safety by law-abiding citizens. Secondly, cameras can be used to enhance the problem-solving process provides us with information we don't necessarily already have. It can improve criminal justice efficiency by alerting police uh, to crimes. It can provide response information to law enforcement officers. We do not anticipate with the implementation of a few extra security cameras that we're gonna have somebody monitoring these things live full time. However, it's certainly possible that front desk staff could have access to these cameras and should officers be dispatched to an area um, where significant crime is in progress, and we know we have video coverage, somebody can get a look at that area before we respond and hopefully provide information that would be of value to those officers. And then, of course, the last thing is that these cameras provide footage which documents criminal activity and can be very useful during investigations and prosecutions. Over the past few years, there have been a number of concerns expressed um, about disruptive behavior and shooting incidents, specifically in the downtown area by business owners, customers, and other community members. And in response to those concerns, the city manager, under her administrative purchasing authority, has approved the police department to purchase the following items. And that would be five security cameras, which will be used strictly to monitor city-owned parking lots, a number of uh, which we've had problems up to this point at. A mobile video trailer, which again I stated earlier is a resource that can be rapidly deployed in response to an unplanned event or used proactively at a large-scale public event. And then one video camera to support police investigations. Again, those are typically concealed cameras that are used during long-term investigations that are focused on major crimes. With those purchases in mind, the police department is specifically interested in seeking council direction concerning the future deployment of additional security cameras. And as importantly, administration has pre uh, prepared a preliminary policy for secu uh, security camera usage that has been attached to the study session memo is an intended uh, for council review and input. The next item we really took a good look at is what is referred to as an automated license plate reader. I'm gonna to refer to them as license plate readers from this point forward, because every time I say ALPR, I get tongue-tied. Um, 
they're a tool that have been implemented already by a number of law enforcement agencies across the country. In fact, many local and regional law enforcement agencies are either already using them or they're in the process of implementing them. Um, the Decatur Police Department currently has 60 license plate readers deployed, Rantoul PD 10 deployed, two more in progress. Champaign County Sheriff's Office just signed a contract to lease three. Springfield Police Department, 80 in progress. Peoria PD, 18 in progress. The University of Illinois Police Department, five in progress. Bloomington Police Department is in discussions. I think there have been a couple um, local successes that we need to talk about at this point, and one of them relates to the Rantoul Police Department, who is a direct result of their implementation of the license plate readers, was able to arrest seven individuals who were involved in two separate shooting incidents during which a total of five individuals were struck by gunfire. And again, the license plate readers were mm -hmm. instrumental in that. The second pertains to the Joliet, Illinois Police Department who deployed license plate readers about one year ago they did a one-year evaluation of their implementation and found that as a direct result of the license plate readers, they saw a 30% increase in their clearance rates for violent crimes. So in anticipation of the possibility of deploying license plate readers throughout the city, the command staff reviewed the previous five years worth of gun violence and the associated crime mapping information um, following our review, we shared that information with a flock safety employee whose sole job is to work with police departments on the implementation of license plate readers, and that individual has six, uh, significant experience and expertise in that area. As a result of our consultation with that employee, staff formulated a plan to deploy 36 license plate readers throughout the city. Um, we have a pre preliminary plan for the deployment and right now that plan is focused on the neighborhoods that are most frequently affected by gun violence. It is uh, focused on arterial streets and the routes of travel that are most likely to be utilized by those who are committing acts of violence. We are planning deployments throughout the city. Um, as of right now, um, the preliminary plans are for 14 readers in the North District. 13 in the West District, and there are nine which straddle district boundaries. Given that the boundaries are Prospect and University, those are all along those routes. These deployment locations are not going to be finalized pending council direction, and if we're allowed to implement them at some point, administration's going to need to sit down with patrol and investigations and kind of review what we've looked at just to make sure that there's some consensus on these locations. So we are specifically seeking your direction on the implementation of license plate readers. And again, in this area, um, staff has put together a draft policy. It's attached to the study session memo. It is intended for your review, and we would be appreciative if you would provide some input to that policy. So I mentioned earlier that the administration worked um, directly with the flock safety employee. We identified flock safety early on is probably the preferred vendor for license plate readers for a number of reasons. First of which is that they're currently in use in more than 1,200 cities throughout the country and they're in use currently by more than 700 law enforcement agencies. 
They are the sole provider of license plate readers by each of the local and regional police departments that I mentioned earlier. One of the unique things about Flock is that they're one of the few, if not only, license plate reader manufacturers who do not rely on infrared technology. And infrared technology has some inherent limitations. First of all, it relies on the raised letters of a license plate. If there's a covering over the license plate, it renders them inoperable. If you look at a state like Indiana that does not have raised letters on their license plate or numbers, it will not read those. It will not read temporary registrations either. Um, Flock makes a license plate reader that is far more suited to law enforcement needs than the other vendors. Most of the license plate readers that you're going to look at are significantly more expensive, and frankly, they're designed for use in like a tollway or toll booth setting, not necessarily for police use. The readers that Flock manufactures have the ability to read license plates for two lanes of traffic moving in the same direction. I don't believe anyone else can say that. And their um, system is significantly more robust and has a lot more searchability features. For example, um, when these ALP, ALPR reads are made, um, there is a partial picture of the vehicle taken. You cannot identify occupants, um, but you can usually tell color. There usually is some identifying information about the make of the vehicle, whether it's a grill or an emblem. Um, so you can go into their system and you can search for white SUVs, blue sedan, um, Dodge vehicles, and they have a, a very high rate of accuracy on those reads. So should council support the deployment of license plate readers, staff is recommending that we move forward with the two-year sole source lease with Flock Safety. The last thing that staff, sorry, really looked at was a gunshot detection technology. That technology emerged in the mid-1990s, and basically it works by surrounding a geographic area with acoustic sensors, which use an algorithm to detect gunshots. Those same sensors, after the shot is detected, then go through the process of triangulation and can identify the location of the gunshot accurate to within one meter, which is really pretty incredible when you think about the fact that these things are covering square miles, not square blocks. Gunshot detection is currently in use in more than 115 cities internationally, but almost the vast majority of those are within this country, and there are currently more than 18,000 acoustic sensors in use in this country right now. To date, those sensors have alerted to more than 230,000 gunshots. As a part of the research into gunshot detection technology, I looked at two specific studies, one that was done by a couple students at Purdue. Um, the other one was a professor that I honestly don't recall which university, uh, University of Cincinnati, I think. Um, the Purdue students studied specifically um, a California city in Washington, D.C. Their study um, concluded that only 12% of gunshots that occur in a city environment are ever reported, and the gentleman from Cincinnati concluded that only about 20% were reported. So that means, anecdotally speaking, that we have a gap of somewhere between 80 and 88% of shots that could conceivably occur in the city of Champaign. They're never being reported to us. 
having this technology and that information can be particularly beneficial in two areas. The first is that it allows us to respond to a shots fired incident at the time it occurs. The second thing is the information that we glean from that technology also allows us to include that data in the intelligence-led policing process, which we use um, to a significant degree in the resource allocation and deployment areas of patrol. What is unique about the gunshot technology that we're gonna to talk to you about tonight is that flock safety makes it and should the city enter into an agreement to lease 15 or more license plate readers from flock, they will provide us with 1.3 square miles of gunshot detection coverage free of charge for a period of one year. Um, I will tell you the area that we tentatively identified um, for the deployment of this technology, if approved, is the Garden Hills neighborhood. We're looking at covering from Bradley and McKinley to Mattis and Bradley to Bloomington and Mattis and then to McKinley and Bloomington. That comes to about 1.3 square miles. Um, I can tell you this from my research. The retention rate for cities that adopt gunshot, gunshot technology is currently 100%. Um, that's going to prompt you to ask, hey, how much does this cost moving forward? Well, it is um, $25,000 per square mile of coverage. Um, so if we were to continue just with the Garden Hills area that we have preliminarily identified, it would be $32,500 per year. So we are recommending that uh, we accept the free year of gunshot detection technology and that we utilize that free year of coverage as a trial period to evaluate the technology for future use. Um, should council direct us to bring forward an agreement with Flock Safety for your consideration, we certainly want your input on where you believe that technology would be most beneficial. Again, the Garden Hills area, that's just a preliminary identification, uh, but it's one that we believe has merit. Alternatively, if you would like some more information on gunshot uh, detection technology, we would be happy to endeavor some further research and perhaps identify some other areas of the city where we believe that technology might be useful. We could present that at a future study session if you so desire. So the city has received extensive community input related to growing concerns over gun violence. Through virtual community, neighborhood, and neighborhood leader forums, the community engagement process about the use of Federal American Rescue Plan Act funds, neighborhood-based loving you events, meetings with city staff and downtown business owners, and emails shared directly with the police department from concerned citizens asking what else can be done to address gun violence. Many community members support the expanded use of security cameras and the implementation of license plate reader technology. So our next steps, if council authorizes the city manager to execute a contract with Flock Safety, staff will place an item on a regular council meeting agenda for council consideration. Once the agreement is signed, it will take approximately four weeks to schedule installation of all LPRs and if desired, gunshot detection sensors. Installation of both systems would be expected to take no more than one week. Both systems would be fully operational no later than December 2021. 
Police Administration will incorporate council input into the operational policies for security cameras and LPRs prior to implementation of technologies. This will conclude our presentation and we will now take any technical questions. Are there any technical? Councilmember Gladney. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Um, there's just some things I just want to be clear on. So the license plate readers, um, wherever they're stationed, they will be reading every single license plate except in cases that you mentioned where they're not raised or they're temporary. Flocks use a picture technology, so they do capture every license plate, whether raised or not, whether raised there's a cover okay. on it, whether it's temporary. But, yes, every vehicle. Okay. And then that information, it, it's stored. Now, in our packet, it mentioned that the, this would be exclusively the property of the city of Champaign. However, it's stored on third-party equipment, right? I mean, this is Flocks equipment that it's... Does Flock have access to it? Yeah, thank you. Um, every capture stored on Siege's certified Amazon web servers uh, for 30 days. Um, and uh, uh, Flock has uh, access to randomly access images for uh, enhancing the technology itself. Um, it does not have the ability to pick and choose individual images and, and search for them at, at kind of at will. Okay, thank you. Um, when, so I was reading about, so, you know, there's an incident, let's say, and the eyewitness provides a license plate number or a partial license plate number. So then an officer can input that into this system, and it might come back with a hit or, or, or of close or approximate um, license plate numbers that left that area perhaps, or are in that, are in that license plate reader system now. Is that how that works? Yeah, I mean, there's two primary applications here. The one is a vehicle drives by a reader, the image is captured, it uh, identifies that vehicle as a vehicle of interest. The officer who has an in-car computer will basically get a pop-up bubble that says, hey, this license plate was read at this location 12 seconds ago. And typically those reads are done in 12 seconds or less. If they're close enough, they can respond, even though the word automated appears in automated license plate reader. The officer still has to go through a process to confirm that read. They need to make sure that it was read properly because the read rate's only 97%, right? It's a computer that makes errors. Then they need to confirm that the plate of uh, state of issuance for that license plate is the same as the one on the car because you can have the same license plate number from two different states. Third, that they'll need to make sure that the alert on that vehicle is still valid. Once those three criteria are met, they can initiate contact with the vehicle and make an investigative stop. The investigative uh, type situation that you're bringing up where I see that is more of um, value is that, say for example, an incident occurs in Garden Hills, that vehicle leaves, we get a description, hey, a red, whatever, Chevy. Again, we can go through this system we can, we can search for red Chevys. If a witness uh, gets a partial license plate, we can enter that. It'll bring up a variety of potential matches. If someone has a ring or a Nest doorbell camera that captures an image of that vehicle, we can enter that image into the system and it will look for comparable images. 
So those type of things are going to typically occur after the investigation is started, and it's going to give us leads to follow, but it's not necessarily going to give us a vehicle to follow immediately after the incident, unless for some other reason that vehicle is already in the system. Okay. It's and more then, for follow-up. Okay. And to be clear, then, after 30 days, these license plate numbers leave the system? Correct. Whether it's just a regular read or a read with an alert, if there's an alert and an officer makes an investigative stop and something arises from that stop that turns that read into evidence, someone's going to have to go onto the system and they're going to have to preserve that as evidence for use in a criminal or civil trial in the future. Um, so it will take an overt action by somebody at the police department to keep it for more than 30 days, but just a common read or even a common alert will fall off the system in 30 days. And if it's kept for after 30 days, is that kept indefinitely or, or kept, what's the? It would be kept in accordance with our um, retention schedule. So for example, we have mobile video cameras and body-worn cameras that produce footage. The retention schedules for those uh, pieces of video evidence are really in accordance with the related crimes. Obviously, if it's a uh, traffic, it'd be for 18 months, a misdemeanor, three years, a felony, seven years. If it was related to a homicide or something that didn't have a statute of limitations, it could be indefinite, but it would be related to the relevant retention schedule. Okay, and then finally, and I, admit, I may have missed this, so my apologies, but it was reading through the information and, and, and listening to the presentation, it sounds like based on data from other areas that have implemented this, these types of technologies, it gave us percentages of like better clearance rates, I guess, for solving you know, the, the crimes. That's sort of like after the fact. Do we, do we have data on a crime deterrent? In other words, has crime gone down in the areas where these have been implemented? Uh, with respect to the Joliet Police Department, I cannot specifically answer that question. I know from kind of an anecdotal perspective in areas where these devices are deployed, there is a little bit of a downturn in crime trends. Um, you know, you see things like it, it, there's an increase in the number of wanted subjects who are identified through these reads. There's a lot more recovered stolen vehicles. Um, so there's a benefit probably more after the fact than preventive, but just like with the security camera, you know, someone who intends to commit a crime is probably, if there's two stores and one has a video and the other doesn't, they're gonna seek the one that doesn't. And as, you know, members of the public become aware, again, these are visible devices that are not concealed. Um, as people become aware of where these things are, you know, I strongly suspect that they're gonna avoid activities that are gonna put them at risk in those areas, but that's just anecdotal information. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Verna. Yeah, I had a couple of questions. In 2007, the state of Illinois outlawed all license plate covers, clear, tinted, plastic, everything. Um, yet, I see very little enforcement of that because I still, 15 years later, see a significant percentage of cars driving around with license plate covers. Some of them darkly tinted, but many of them even clear, and they're illegal. 
is that going to be problematic for the efficacy of our license plate readers, or are we going to continue to look the other way? Be, you know, I mean, what's the deal on that? So the beautiful thing with Flock system is it does not rely on the infrared technology that can be overcome by those plate covers. They t it takes a photographic image, it goes through a character recognition process and converts it into an alphanumeric read or license plate. The cover has no bearing on that. Flat letters have no bearing on that. Uh, a paper temporary has no bearing on that. So that will not be an issue if we go with flock. But are we consciously giving a pass to people who have some form of a license plate cover? And do we do that just because we consider it to be a de minimis thing that uh, even though it's against the law in Illinois that we're just look the other way? Yeah, I've had a little bit of an absence from the police department since my last appearance here, but I can tell you that basically, yes, there has been a concerted effort on the police department's part over more than the last 15 years to avoid enforcement of registration violations, which really don't pose a risk to traffic or to motorists and which typically have a disparate impact. So, uh, yes, I do believe there's been a deliberate effort to not enforce some of those things. Councilmember Bruno, I, I think also they might have um, made some very small modifications to that law. I think that uh, just like something hanging from your rear view mirror, I think that they have de you know, deemed it that if it's not obstructing the license plate, such as like a clear cover, I think, I believe that those are no longer illegal. It's only if it, it, if it obstructs the reading of the license plate. Okay. Well, the, the, the rosary or necklace hanging from the rearview mirror is a very effective tool for law enforcement, right? I mean, we stop a lot of vehicles on the, on the basis of something hanging from the rearview mirror. Um, will these locations of license plate readers, will we go out of our way to say, to put a sign up, like a, like a jewelry store might put a sign up that says you're on video, smile, you're on candid camera. Will we go out of our way to call attention to these cameras or will we just let the chips fall where they may, whether people notice them or don't notice them? Sorry, the picture that's up on the screen right now is a solar-powered license plate reader. Um, the municipalities that I've seen using these are not putting any sort of overt signage. Um, I've is, spent... Is sorry, that city manager, I think our memo says something else. So if you're asking the question about cameras and not LPRs... I'm um, talking about license plate readers. Okay, so and license plate... I'm wondering plate. whether we think it's counterproductive to put a big attention-getting sign wherever one exists, or whether that would be... Uh, have a prophylactic effect on people doing bad things? Or would it be a good idea to put signs up? Yeah, I mean, practically speaking, I don't think there's any reason why we can't do that, but they're such visible devices. I've spent a fair amount of time in Florida over the past few years, and you cannot get on any two-lane or four-lane highway down there without having your plate read. I've yet to see any signage for that, but they're just so overtly placed that it's inherently recognizable. Okay. My last uh, line of questioning is, 
will we be creating, what, what, to what degree are we creating a burden for the city in responding to Freedom of Information Act requests, for instance? Is this fall into some exception? Or what if somebody says, I want to see the data on every car that went down 4th Street um, you know, uh, yesterday? Do we have to respond to those? So that's an excellent question. I think, generally speaking, we would have to turn information over at the current time about a specific, the, the fact that a vehicle is red. Obviously, the registration information that's associated with that read is not releasable to general members of the public, so that would be protected. Um, you know, there's a part of the Freedom of Information Act that basically prohibits unduly burdensome requests, right? So if somebody says, uh, you've got a license plate reader, Bradley and Neil, and I want the record of every vehicle. I mean, it's going to literally probably be 10,000 vehicles a day. That's what I'm worried if about. If they're looking for a specific vehicle, I suppose, you know, we may have to do some work with that. Um, the good news is there's a Senate bill pending. It's Senate Bill 1549. Um, the last forward movement on it, I believe, was in March. Um, but it is in progress, and that bill specifically eliminates or exempts license plate readers from FOIA. So if that passes, that will completely alleviate that. And I'm wondering if that's a result of it having been abused in some other communities. The FOIA request? That drove that legislation uh, making that exempt. I think that's quite possible. Thank you. Councilmember Fulmer. Yeah, just a couple quickish questions. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the process for determining where those ALPRs would go? Um, trying to trying to reconcile the the numbers that we see here from different places, and then we have thirty six, twice the number that Peoria has listed. Obviously, Flock has something to gain by recommending more. So, can can you speak to that? Yeah, actually, police staff is the one that initially determined 36. We used Flock to help us determine how to get the most use out of those 36. Um, again, for example, if they're positioned in a certain way, it has the ability to read two lanes of traffic in the same direction. Um, so those types of um, Modifications to placement can be really important in making a finite number of resources go further. Um, our approach, I know that there's been some concern that like we're gonna embed these in, you know, um, economically disadvantaged or high crime neighborhoods and it's gonna have this disparate impact on the people who live there and much like the gunshot detection, this actually works the opposite way. You don't put them within a neighborhood, you put them around a neighborhood. And much like the gunshot detection that's going at Bradley McKinley, Bradley Mattis, Bloomington Mattis, and Bloomington McKinley, you know, those are arterial streets where the vast majority of motorists who are passing through them do not live in the neighborhoods that are adjacent. Um, but the goal is, you know, to catch these vehicles, because 70% of crimes have a vehicle that is associated with the commission of that crime. And so our goal is to capture those vehicles as they leave the area. Well, you don't do that by putting these on side streets. You want to use, you know, main uh, streets, arterial roadways, um, and that can start to point you in the right direction. So um, 
they're, they're pretty well spread throughout town, I'll be honest. There are zero that are targeted right now in our preliminary plans for campus deployment, but that is simply because the U of I is currently working on that. We don't want to duplicate efforts. They are a very good uh, partner of the police departments and, quite frankly, the cities. Uh, we'll continue to work with them moving forward. It would be disingenuous of me to sit here and tell you that 36 ALPRs is the most we're ever going to ask for and you'll never see us again. This is a baseline initial deployment. You know, I hope we're not back here in the coming months, but I think in the coming years we may come back and if we identify areas of need, we will uh, work to address them. The other thing that I haven't brought up to this point that is extremely helpful for you to know is that these are movable devices, right? We can pick them up and for $250, Flock will come down here and put it wherever we want. So if we find that we're not getting use out of one or more of these or the trends have changed, that our data has changed for a very insignificant amount of money, we can have them come down here and do that. Alternatively, they're willing to train public work staff to do it. My personal opinion at the initial deployment of these, I don't want two people working on it because when something goes wrong, they point at each other. And I think we need to hopefully get this program underway, get things running. I know that public start, uh, work staff, like many other departments here in the city, um, have a full workload, and I don't think we need to add to it right now. Um, but that's something to keep in mind is that these are mobile devices. We can move them as trends change or we identify emerging needs. Great. Thank you. Um, I also, actually, speaking of public works um, and planning, is there any other uh, use? Uh, can, can we understand traffic patterns from them? Is that, is that a... There are non-law enforcement uses. Okay. You can um, say, for example, if we had one on Prospect on the north side of the interstate and then another one at Bradley and Prospect, you can use these to time how long it's taking traffic to flow and you could push out information via social media or some other mechanism to, in the event of a crash or football game on campus or something to push traffic to other areas much like we do during the Illinois Marathon um, that's not something we've looked heavily into um, we would certainly be happy to work with engineering and public works more generally um, to share the types of information that would be appropriate in helping them make informed decisions so yes there are some other uses great my final question is on the gunshot detection technology. Um, is, is there data that, that tells us how often it leads to an arrest or, or getting a gun off, a street, off the streets? Would... I don't have any information um, that would be responsive to that question. Sorry. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, just as a follow-up, uh, I had the question about if you were able to move them, what was the cost? But given that, is there a plan like, are you going to evaluate it after six months or any sort of systematic way of knowing when you might make that determination if you could move one or the other? So um, our crime analyst puts out an intelligence-led policing um, summary every Tuesday. It's used for patrol investigation staff to look at and identify trends. Obviously, um, we want to be looking at larger blocks of time than a week. 
Um, I suspect it would be measured in months and not a year, but I think you know, probably six months after the initial deployment, we need to take a really hard look at what the return has been and the value of continuing with the locations that were initially identified. And if we see that trends have changed or we need to make movement that we would do it at that point. So I would think, you know, in theory, if we're allowed to deploy these in December, probably like in June, we take a really good look. Um, we're almost halfway through the calendar year at that point too. So we're gonna have comparable data from years previously um, with the crime mapping. So I think like June would be a really good time to take a look at that. And would you do the same with the gunshot detection if you see that it's being beneficial to see if you want to expand out to other areas of the city? Uh, theoretically, I would. Is that as mobile as the LPRs? Well, okay. well I, I'm sorry, um, I, and I, I, didn't mean, I didn't make myself clear. If you're finding it helpful to maybe expand and have like another part of the city covered in addition to the 1.3 square miles, like to do another, but that we would pay for. Yeah, I think certainly after six months, we would be able to identify whether or not that technology was worthwhile and we would, you know, be able to determine if this accuracy within one meter was realistic and um, determine exactly how many um, shots were being fired that weren't being reported, you know, and that would tell us, again, if this has some value going forward. Um, I don't know that we would necessarily want to do that mid-lease because, whoops, this is kind of running on a two-year cycle. Um, but I think theoretically at six months, if we say, hey, this has value, that would be a good time to begin the process of adding more coverage in the second year of the lease. Thank you. You're this side, Councilmember Beck. Thank you. Um, so I have a couple questions. I'll start off with the um, the, ca the camera policies. I was reading through it, and just to note, G and H are the exact same thing underneath forty one point seventeen point three control elements. So we just kind of repeated ourselves there. But I'm wondering, that's the specific one I actually wanted to ask about. It says, um, with approval of the chief of police, department units may assign staff to monitor security camera recordings for public safety purposes. So I'm wondering if we can define what public safety purposes means. Um, I personally like to be a little bit more um, specific about the usages that we're going to deploy our cameras under. And for me, public safety purposes is fairly broad in spectrum. And if we could actually spell that out in our policy, that would be helpful, I think, and would be something I think that would be comforting to the public. Um, the second thing is, is underneath E in the same section where it says to the maximum extent of possible. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm asked, I, I didn't let you answer my question. I said a statement and I didn't let you answer my question, which was, <laughs> What, do we have any, any specific uh, public safety purposes for that? I mean, personally, I believe that public safety is a fairly expansive category. Mm -hmm. um, this could be, in my opinion, anything from the Illinois Marathon to, um, I go back to Matt Hale appearing at the library to Final Four celebrations on Green Street. Um, it could be, there could be some significant event that was unplanned um, like the shooting we had at the mall a decade or more ago. 
where if we have cameras in the area and there's activity that I think, you know, the police chief should have the authority to be able to identify, like, absolutely, this meets the public safety criteria. I don't know that we can give you an all-inclusive list, but I think that we can certainly spell out the types of things that we think would most generally qualify, and they would be um, the areas where th these cameras were most commonly actively monitored as opposed to just recording and being accessed when we need footage. Okay. All right. Thanks. And then um, can you also, it says in underneath E, to the maximum extent possible. Can you help me understand what that means, to the maximum extent possible? That's underneath the second, the same section and control elements. Yeah, and I'll, I said this, I believe, in the study session memo. Um, I'll repeat it here. Council had previously looked at the U of I's security camera mm -hmm. policy back when we received the request from them, I believe, in 2016. I heavily referenced that policy mm -hmm. in drafting this, and again, this is a preliminary. On campus, they are looking at areas that um, for security camera usage where it is much more likely that there are going to be residential units in close proximity to those cameras. I think that in most circumstances that is going to be less the case within the city. But in those cases, say for example, if we determine we need the camera at state and church, um, there are some housing and residential units there. We would not want to be aiming that camera in a way that there was any significant risk of capturing a private citizen's behavior in their home or abode. Um, we would be looking to place that camera in a way to capture the same area where we are not um, running the risk of capturing activity that, frankly, we have no business recording. So. You know, in most cases, there are more than one ways to position a camera to accomplish the same thing. And I think that, that what I'm getting at with that point is we're going to go to every effort um, to make sure that we're not putting somebody's residence or place of business even in a position where we're capturing activity there, um, not necessarily intentionally, but by poor planning. Okay. And, and I apologize for the minutia of my questions. I tend to be really detail-oriented, but there's actually five of us on the dais that were not on council when that original policy was um, approved. So I, I, I was not on council at that time either, so I just have some additional questions. So I appreciate your patience with me. <laughs> um, so, so I guess I'm wondering also, do, are you considering that the other cameras that you referenced, the in, uh, hidden investigative cameras, and the video trailer, that this policy would also um, be addressing the issues related to those, or do we anticipate having additional policies coming forward for those particular cameras? Uh, for the investigative cameras, that would be a separate policy. We basically operate off a set of procedures now. Um, we typically don't publicize those procedures much like our response to bank alarms is not published on the website, even though most of our policies are. Um, with the video surveillance trailer, I think that bears incorporation into this policy. Um, although the technology is the same, the application is a little bit different. And I think that coming up with the section that specifically addresses how, when, where it will be used, whose authority it requires, 
is certainly a reasonable request. And can you explain why there's not a, a publication of the um, investigative cameras? I, I do understand bank, bank, the bank procedure. I do get right. that. But can you uh, explain the hidden cameras procedure? Yeah, so these cameras that we use for long-term investigations, whether they're focused on violent crimes or significant narcotics offenses, you know, we don't want to publish the way we use and deploy those and talk about our general philosophy because the very people who, whose behavior is being targeted through the use of those cameras have an opportunity to adjust their behavior to overcome it. So um, it's just one of those things where it's, it's typically a you know, covert investigative use type of thing and therefore we don't um, generally publicize how that's applied. Are there agencies in the United States that do publicize those, or is this typical of other agencies? I would say it's very typical. I mean, I haven't had a widespread look at other departments uh, outside of the state of Illinois, but I've been involved in accreditation going back to 2009, and I've yet to see another department mm -hmm. who publishes a, any sort of policy or set of procedures that would pertain to investigative cameras. And we don't know of any legal proceedings, I don't maybe our city attorney knows, that would apply to that particular issue? No, I'm not aware of any. Okay. Um, aware of any. Okay. And then uh, the next question I had was um, in regards to the, uh, the um, license plate cameras. Sorry, lost for words. The license plate cameras. Uh, I can't remember all the initials, so I will also say license plate cameras. <laughs> um, can, we, uh, can we put these on our own servers, or do we have to use the company's servers? Is that something that we're required to do, or um, can we house this information ourselves? Um, they have to go onto these servers to be able to do all the analytics on top of the information. Um, that's where it's like the magic's basically being done. So. Um, uh, after it goes up there and they uh, check, uh, look for make, color, and type of vehicle, then you can pull anything back down you want on your own servers. So we're looking at a cloud-based system entirely. There's nothing that's actually locally uh, housed. So we're not housing a piece of software that then analyzes the analytics. We are actually using software that's based on the cloud. Correct. And then uh, any... Uh, Anyone in the department who they deem necessary to be able to access information has a username and password, and any one of their searches has a full audit trail uh, anytime a search is done, who did it, what camera, what reason. Okay, thank you. And then for our uh, staff, the, um, do, or have you seen any systems at all that would be localized in application rather than based in the cloud? Uh, I have not, no. no. Okay, and then um, a next, my next question is in regards to the uh, gunshot system, the gun spotting system. Um, have we given consideration at all to any of the recent um, reports that have come out? For example, the MacArthur Justice Center report that references the, um, the use of, the, the, use of um, the shot spotting system that, and its algorithms. Have we used any information like that to determine the efficacy of the system? I, I did not specifically look at that report, no. I did try to do, um, 
when I set out to do research, I usually try to look, like in, in the example with the license plate readers, I looked at stuff from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and I looked at some studies by some centers for justice that were not necessarily in favor of the deployment, or um, if they were in favor, they had some, you know, guide, some general guidelines that they recommended op, uh, departments operate within deploying them. Um, I did not see anything along those lines for gunshot detection during my search. Um, admittedly, I've spent a lot more time on license plate readers than the gunshot technology. And frankly, the gunshot technology came into this only due to Flock's offer. So I mean, I feel very comfortable with the deployment at this point in time, um, but I haven't seen any information mm -hmm. concerning that McCarthy report that would. Okay. And, and I guess I'm looking uh, for information too about the, uh, the use of that, the algorithm, because it is a proprietary algorithm that the company uses. So there's some questions about whether or not that particular algorithm is um, transparent. So you didn't see anything like that in any of your research? No, and I suspect that what you're referring to, and I'm going to defer to Mr. Murdoch with Flock here in a second, is probably related to the the technology that's referred to as shot spotter. Mm -hmm. Flock uses a technology called Raven, which is different. Mm -hmm. um, I'll let him address that, but my most of the research I found was geared towards shot spotter um, mm -hmm. as opposed to Raven. Mm -hmm. um, so that the does Raven use an algorithm that's proprietary, or does it publish its algorithm? Do you know? So, um, so I so the. Um, what you're referencing is uh, the, the algorithm, and then there's also a human element involved in the shot spotting mm -hmm. software where a human is going in and looking and listening to each incident and then making a termination on top of that, which is where a lot of the issues that they have been scratched stem from. That is not the way that Flock's technology works. When uh, basically, when these devices are out, are out in the world, uh, it is looking for a specific uh, wavelength of a, a sound wavelength. A gunshot has a unique sound wavelength like, compared to a firecracker or anything else. So um, what Flox uh, machine learning, uh, basically our special sauce is all around uh, taking a visual image and being able to overlay our on top of it. And that's what we're able to do with the sound wave. So, so the, unique, the uniqueness of the sound wave is what it is reading off of and then sending off the alert based on that. So there is no human on the back end who's involved with it. It is all basically that, that um, kind of motion. So I guess that, that doesn't quite answer my question though. I'm specifically asking about the algorithm that the company uses in order to identify shots. So you're, I know you're describing the sound wave issue, which I'm completely yeah. familiar with. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm wondering what algorithm is used and do you publish that algorithm? Do you share it with your with your, uh, your, I, your purchasers? So I, I wouldn't say that there's, there's an algorithm per se behind mm -hmm. it. It is basically identifying, does, does, it, does, it does the wavelength that we just, mm -hmm. uh, does, it, does it match that? Yes, it does. We are sending a real-time alert out. There is no like comparing with, we just heard this, then we hear this. It is basically just seeing this, this wavelength. Um, I'm, I, I do not know if if uh, if we sh if beyond that what we share with the individual organizations, I, I can certainly look into that and and follow back up um, with the with the uh, department on that. Okay. 
I think that concludes my current questions. I appreciate patience with me. Councilmember Kyles. Appreciate all the questions you answered. Most asked most of mine. The one of the, the ones that I really wanted to, um, and I, you might have said it, um, but in the neighboring agencies that utilize this technology, whether it's the license plate reader or shot spotter, um, do they have any data that shows that there was a reduction in crime? I believe that Peoria is probably the closest agency to us distance-wise. Um, I have not spoken with them specifically, but I do have some contacts there, and I'd be happy to reach out and see if I can get you an answer to that. Yeah, I would um, definitely uh, be interested in that information. Um, and some of the other agencies as well. Um, um, Peoria um, was reported, I think, a couple years ago. Uh, well, actually, last maybe a year ago, being as one of the worst places for black people to live. And so I'd like to see some other agencies as well, um, if possible. Um, my second question, last question, because most of the questions have already been asked, um, is what happens is, um, if the technology, because tech has, is, is, is there, it's open to error, what happens in situations where, you know, there's a mis, uh, a vehicle that's misidentified, or, you know, you, you grab the license, the license places, you know, we may be looking for is for um, this, and then it's, what happens in the, in the situation of errors? What, what, is that more police policy, or is that more, like, I think that's something that perhaps the public would want to know. Right, so that's a good question. I mean, Right now, the information that we would get from any technology, you're right, is probably not going to be 100% perfect, but nor is eyewitness descriptions of license plates or clothing or anything else. It's, a, it's really, uh, like John said earlier, it is truly an investigative tool, just like Nibin does not give us uh, information in the end that we can make an arrest. It gives us an investigative tool that links people or links incidents or links dates. So then we, we then have to go out and follow it up. So if we get a license plate that says ABC123, and that's either what was described by a witness or picked up on the license plate reader, and we see a car similar to that, and we pull it down, but it was ABC124, then that's upon the investigating officer to figure out, you know, by interviewing or talking with the subjects in the car, figuring out where they're coming from. Just the, the typical conversation you would have is if somebody said the person was 5'10 and wearing all green. Well, if I stop a person that's 5'10 wearing all green, he may be coming from visiting his grandmother and going to the movies and have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's simply an investigative tool that then comes and falls on our shoulders then to weed it out and, and kind of vet any of those possible hits or contacts we might have. Thank you. Anyone else? It's so hard for me not to call you Deputy Chief. John. Um, I think this was in your uh, in the memo, but I'm not sure you said it as part of your presentation. But is one of the reasons we're recommending the flock system have to do with being able to cooperate with other local agencies? And can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, that's a big part of it. Like I said, uh, Peoria's, Springfield's, Bloomington's, Rantoul's, 
Urbana's looking into this county. Every one of them uses flock system. So with um, inter-system use comes interoperability. So we can choose to share information with all or none or anything between. We could say we want to share with anyone who's 30 miles away, for example. Um, so that is a big part of it. I mean, we've seen, we, although we spoke specifically about gun violence in the city of Champaign, we've seen that affect the greater Champaign-Urbana community at large. And, you know, crime doesn't stop or start at Wright Street or the West City Limit. Um, Muhammad is looking at these now. Um, I think you're going to see some other communities follow. And I think because of the mobile nature, I mean, if I go back 15 years ago, a lot of this violent crime was a lot more compartmentalized, right? There were specific areas where it took place. And that's no longer the case. It's spread throughout town. I mean, the one on Kirby Avenue last week was at five o'clock in the evening. I mean, that just, that did not happen 15 years ago. Um, but in the same way, it's mobile within town, it's mobile outside of town. And I think um, we have excellent working relationships with the local law enforcement agencies. Um, we have a great deal of confidence that they conduct themselves and handle department business in much the same manner that we do. And I think that if we're all collecting information and sharing it with one another, that has the potential to be tremendously advantageous to all of us. Thank you. If anyone in the audience wishes to address this issue, and if you guys um, want to get up and move during public participation, you are welcome to do so. That's, that's our new thing. <laughs> Please state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Hi, I'm Linda Turnbull. I was here before. I'm sorry about my phone ringing because I had so much going on. Uh, anyway, this is such a blessing. Hallelujah. I'm glad I stayed. I'm glad I'm, I came to hear that we are trying to move forward, that we are doing something great, that we are trying. I don't care which one you pick. I'm in support of anything that's going to help us get rid of this gun violence because we don't have anything and something is better than nothing and these readers and all this research they have done, it's a blessing that these young men, I'm going to say young men, hallelujah, have did this research and came up with these ideas. I am so glad, that's all I want to say and I'm not going to say any more that um, all the research they did, because I have a master's in training and development and research, and I see they did a lot of research. And the research they have done, like I, he, they, he said, other cities have it. They can connect with you. They can solve things. You can solve things. Y'all can partner. And you won't be out there alone, and we'll get something done. Because right now, we don't have nothing done. And if I'm going to leave because if I hear somebody say something negative, I'm going to get upset. But I, I'm not going to react to the upset. I'm just going to pray for them because they are do, you guys are doing a great job. And that's all I want to hear. So you guys have a good night and be blessed. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward. Please state your name and city of residence. Martel Miller, Champaign, Illinois. Um, 
Look at this tape. Don't see no one look, look like me. I ain't making it racist, but don't nobody look like me sitting at this table. And I'm going to tell y'all something. Before all the action happened at Centennial, I had told my daughter, don't let my granddaughter go to Centennial. If we got to send her to a banner or central, don't go out to Centennial. Do you know how I know that? The word on the street let me know the Centennial is going to be a hot spot before school even started. And you know why I say that? Because we need a different way to police. And I'm going to tell you why. I'd have been to Washington, D.C. You can't walk nowhere in Washington, D.C. where there ain't no camera. I've been to Oakland, California, same way. And they got gun detectors. Chicago got gun detectors up in Chicago Saturday. They got gun detectors everywhere. Have it stopped the murders? No, because you need people. We need to think outside the box. And I hate to tell you this. We got to get community liaisons working with the police department. We got to get ex-felons working with the police department. Because we got to get where we got contact to the community. Community trust the police all across the United States is down because of George Floyd. You got to bring the community in, the police in the community. You're not going to stop gun violence in our community until we include it. And then when we got to get paid, ain't no volunteer work. Make the community liaison make the same amount as the police, starting police officers. Make it a job where somebody want to come, come to work at. Not, not a job that you come to volunteer. You know, it's time to look at employing people out the community to help the police in, in our community because of the distrust. And, and people know about the distrust. I deal with the distrust. I got arrested for eavesdropping on the police for making a documentary. And I ain't talking about me. It's me. I was trying to make a difference. You know, you can get all the cameras you want. You can get all the technology you want until you decide to have a human being that looks like me, a black man, involved with the police, not, not as a law enforcement, but as a community connection. We need that. And... I'm just hoping that we start thinking outside the box. The things we're doing across America is not working on murder of young black men in the United States. Until you get young black men and black people involved in a different way where, make, make where you walk in our community, where we trust you enough to give you information and then protect us from the person that's going to may try to hunt us down. You know, until we get... Uh, Economic, where money is flowing through our community, where these young people see a, a, a future. Our young people live day to day. You know, I'm living gun violence. When I say that, I lost my best friend at the American Legion. My wife lost her son last, uh, last year, August 15th. I lost a young cousin. Talked to him about three weeks before then. Shot down dead. It just, we got to 
use the police, law enforcement, community. If you don't join them together, you can get all you want. And it ain't going to work. And I hear what I'm going to say to my community. We got to get the criminals, the shooting, off the street. And the money that y'all can put into this, y'all give it to me. And you know what I would do with it? This person here, the guy killed, I got $10,000. I want the man arrested. That 17-year-old, put $10,000 out today and say that you want them people brought to justice. It's cost you that much in law enforcement, hiring them to investigate, to go out, gas, all that. Put $10,000 on somebody. Watch how they get turned in. You know, to me, sounds good, may look good on paper, but uh, what my old man used to say, a good plan, with, no, a good idea without a good plan ain't a good idea. And right now, it's a good idea, but I don't think it's the plan that we need. Thank, Thank you. you. Hello, everyone. Justin Michael Hendricks, Champaign resident, educational policy major, hitting homeboy creator. Um, I just want to address the situation right now, and I heard that the community isn't doing the job or the city, and they need some answers, so let's just talk about it. We've invested so much money into gun violence and programs geared towards gun violence that they haven't had a solution. While domestic violence, homophobia, transphobia, mental health still exist in the last three years, but gun violence has increased along with that. We have a study session to track the gun violence data, but again, where's the data from the programs that we have talked about and discussed and we're investing in to combat the mission of gun violence to stop? If we're going to surveillance the areas, could we at least hire a black tech company I believe it's one locally, or we can have to, or we can find those black technicians that can come in here and do the work for us. We want to make sure that the work that is that we're collecting is unbiased, is ethical, is humane, and also is most engaging. Uh, most importantly, can we track domestic violence crimes first? As in the last two to five years, black women and queer trans folks have been either murdered or face um, negative issue, issues that have come to them that either have stemmed from, uh, stem from domestic violence to either gun violence initially that ended, ended their lives. Back to those individuals in these positions that, um, that we do have people in positions that have been in positions that um, basically have never changed over time. Um, I want to mention community coalition and people in these positions that I have seen since my childhood and I have seen gun violence only increase. We need to make changes because all I've seen happen is that their families have benefited from black trauma and black bodies, but what have we done to stop the violence actually in the community? We're um, gatekeeping that also comes in shades of black and brown. It needs to stop. Um, if we're going to actually be successful, let's consolidate those funds. I say that again. If we consolidate those, consolidate those funds, that makes sure that the groups and organizations start to actually work together and find a cohesive, cohesive plan to do the job because they're under a level of constraint and confinement to actually work together. We have a lot of, um, lot of chiefs, not enough Indians in the situation when it comes to gun violence in these programs and organizations that we're funding. So if we're going to make a change, let's make the right change and be truthful about the situations at hand. Again, I would love to see a black tech company lead the situation so that way we know that where the data is coming from because actually I'm not sure if everybody that's on board can actually go to the communities that they're wanting to get engaged and to collect the right data. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Please step forward. Minnie Pearson, NAACP president, 
Champaign County. Uh, I'm familiar with four of the uh, locations that uh, you are citing as using some of the technology that you're uh, planning to implement. I also read the 20 page, I didn't go through it uh, closely enough, and I'm going to continue to you know, go through it, but I did read the 20 page uh, document uh, that you have. Uh, and as I've stated before in the community, there was a time when we were located uh, in one section of town, and that was when you had your village, uh, and everybody knew, everybody in, in, uh, interacted, all of those kinds of things, and a village raised the children. Our children now are traumatized. They have issues. They have all kinds of issues, trust issues, everything. Uh, and so we put things into place that looks really good on paper. And I came here tonight to say to you that uh, with the way the community is traumatized and the restrictions put on our movements within the city, we can't go where we want to go, do what we want to do. And a lot of people are concerned that their uh, constitutional rights and privacy is going to be invaded. Well, I'm looking at people who cannot go and move around the city safely without fear of being hurt. So in talking with NAACPs uh, throughout the state of Illinois and other police officers located, I understand that there are many, there are gonna be many feelings around this situation. But I came here tonight uh, hoping that this is not going to be your only answer to gun violence. But if you are gonna use this one uh, in addition to other things that you're going to do, then I can support that. If you're going to use that data to actually make a difference and not build upon the mistrust that is already out there, then I'm gonna go for it but I'm gonna hold you accountable for your actions. So if the NAACP stands here and tells you that they're gonna trust you to use this data properly and to include the community, because you can put things on paper, and I even wrote it down. I had a little, lot of little scratches when I read through your document. I said I like the way your policy uh, is result-based driven, but I wanna see the action behind your policy. I want to see, because I have a relationship with the police officers in this city. I have a lot of respect for them. Are they perfect? Heck no, they're not. There is a lot, and it's not due to each individual police officer. It is because we need more diversity in our police officers. We need more diversity everywhere. We need people. We need to involve our community. This is a community issue. It is a community issue, and when a community feels welcomed in something, they will participate in something. So we have to change the way we think. We have to change our paradigm and be more inclusive. We don't need people telling us who have not lived our experiences how to solve our experiences. We've, we've been experiencing certain things that you will never understand how to solve. 
So in order to solve those issues, you need to bring us in. So I'm going to stand here tonight and say that I'm going to step out on faith and say, <laughs> I am. I'm going to step out on faith and say that I believe if this is going to be just one of the things you implement to help stop gun violence, because it is reaping havoc on our community. And some people are jumping at the bits. They want to start something right now. They want to finish right now. It's not going to happen. But I'm telling you right now that we need to do something to stop or slow it down or control it. And talking with other NAACP presidents, we all agree. So tonight, council people, city people, community, I'm going to say I'm going to support the license plates readers. And if possible, I would love to support the gunshot identifiers, if that's what you call it. But I want to put something in the people who are going to be handling the data, storing the data, and it's not going to be used in a way where it's going to alienate people because people are saying, I, oh, I my time is up. People are going to be saying, I'm going in and out of those communities where they're going to place these, uh, take this technology. But I go to work every day. I'm a law-abiding citizen. How am I going to be uh, you know, discriminated against? So think about those things. A lot of the questions were answered for me tonight. But also, if this is a town hall, you have to reach the community with a town hall to let them know how this is going to be implemented and how is it going to affect their lives and what can they do to help. Invite, encourage, be inclusive. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Pearson. Anyone else? Hi, uh, Peter, city of Urbana. I'm a seventh year PhD student in computer science. Um, the, this country and law enforcement in this country has a really bad history with surveillance. Uh, going back to the 70s, even further back with the 50s with Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, historically uh, black activist groups, uh, women's activist groups, and, and similar uh, organizations. Even last year, um, you can look about a Newsweek article about local police monitoring Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, it, and so I would call into question uh, what is a, uh, it was, it's, only, it's only supposed to be used for legitimate law enforcement purposes according to the memo. Uh, historically, those have not been very good things for people of a community and oppressed people in a community. Um, even if we want to ignore any, any local law enforcement um, uh, breaking of trust, uh, Flock says they have uh, Amazon servers where they store their data. Uh, this Newsweek article describes how the FBI has an agreement with Amazon and was spying on Black Lives Matter protesters through the uh, doorbell, the ring doorbell cameras. And the FBI has agreements with Amazon and that data might be deleted in 30 days, but they can just download it onto their own computers. Uh, we've kind of, we've, we've heard about the expansion of the surveillance state on the federal level uh, with Snowden and the years that have happened since that. Um, also say that uh, my fiance is a 
uh, Muslim American, well actually just not American, but Muslim, and I am also keenly aware of surveillance of the Muslim community in, in this country. Uh, there was an article written last month about the New York Police Department just settling a lawsuit where they had spied on uh, Muslim people in New York well into, the, into this decade, not just in 2001 and 2002, but well after that. Uh, and so, you know, my, my thought goes to, uh, is Urbana gonna use this one next? And is one of these public cameras gonna be pointed at the mosque on Lincoln Avenue? And um, I just wanted to uh, also talk more about um, uh, this, this, um, this company, which is, uh, it's escaping me right now. The, um, which company's name? Flock. Flock, Flock Safety, thanks. So f first of all, uh, I already mentioned Flock Safety's uh, Amazon servers, uh, but also um, uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that on Flock's website, uh, flocksafety.com slash ethics-center, um, Flock strongly urges police departments to, uh, or sorry, the city council's adopting these proposals to also uh, implement laws with community control over these systems. In fact, they have a link on that website to the ACLU, community control of, over police surveillance laws, and Flock advocates for that, and ACLU has a you know, a, a sample of a, of a code you could write up. There's been no uh, mention in this memo and proposal of any kind of community control, transparency, accountability from non-law enforcement over this program. So I would say if Flock is suggesting that and strongly urging that, that sounds like a necessary prerequisite before this can get going to pass uh, a CCOPS law. Uh, as I said, on Flock, you can find a link to that. Um, also, just want to talk about, uh, the, address the question about the uh, algorithms. Uh, Flock Safety says they use proprietary machine learning algorithms. Uh, so they are proprietary. Uh, as I just submitted a paper to the Journal of Computational Physics about uh, machine learning, and I can tell you uh, machine learning does a lot of things, but even the people doing machine learning don't really understand what it does. Uh, and um, my, as I was searching through, through other news, news sites about this topic, I just saw an article that came out last year about a 65-year-old man in Chicago who was jailed for a year uh, based only on this gunshot detection and these cameras uh, from a similar uh, company. And so I would be very opposed to increasing surveillance in our community and this can't be implemented by December. It's, it, it at least needs to be discussed with the full community and their involvement. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address council? Hello, Mayor Council. My name is Leslie Krause, resident of Champaign. I just want to express my overwhelming support for um, this uh, proposed system um, and these technologies. I think that these tools and any kind of tools that can prove useful for law enforcement, particularly investigation, and ideally prevention of crime uh, during this very unfortunate era that we're in right now, uh, should definitely be taken advantage of. Um, I do realize, of course, that 
it was discussed and brought forth that obviously that this uh, technology doesn't necessarily prevent crime, which of course is one of my slight concerns because I believe that while there's the investigative component that we shouldn't neglect or forego remembering that we still need to focus on the prevention aspect as well because it's great to try and uh, cut down on the number of the hours that we, man hours that we're, we have to invest in investigation that we still need to obviously mitigate the crimes to begin with. Um, I do appreciate the fact that there is a rapid deployment to this obviously that makes, that ensures that the, our tax dollars are going to the uh, best use. Um, I do feel though that some of the ex concerns that were expressed by Council Member Beck, I appreciate that they, that they were, uh, you know, d discussed a little bit more. Obviously there's some issues with technology and policy aspects and the transparency of how the data is actually going to be handled, how it's stored, where these cameras are going to be deployed, whether it possibly might affect people's, uh, you know, privacy or constitutional rights. I think that those are all things that obviously need to be uh, given some additional attention at all times, of course. Um, I do feel also that, uh, that, like I said, that I just would appreciate that you do, don't look at this just as a band-aid approach, a quick fix, you know, that this should be part of an overall plan to address gun violence for our whole community. So please do be sure to engage with the community at all times to make sure that this is an impartial and unbiased uh, use of our, of our resources and technologies. And once again, thank you for the excellent presentation. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Council comments? Anybody? Council member Beck. So um, I come to this study session with a lot of, a lot of feelings uh, about, and a lot of information about um, a variety of, a variety of things that influence my decisions about this. I, on the one hand, I am a staunch opponent, I should say, of surveillance. It is a, I, ha, I do not take lightly state surveillance of the public, period. It is something that I feel is a slippery slope that we've allowed many of our civil liberties as a nation to erode away and we've allowed the use of technologies to track us, which we continue to do even with these, right? On a daily basis, we all engage in it. The use of social media tracks us, big data tracks us. Those are all things we willingly engage in on a daily basis. But I can't um, stress enough that the community is begging us to do something. They are begging us to do something to address the gun violence in our community. Here's the thing. We haven't addressed it, even though it's been a problem in our community for a long time. And it's been a problem in our black and brown neighborhoods, and that's why we've neglected to do anything. Now that it's completely transformed across the community, we are being asked to do something. 
But what I see happening is the building of a fence around our black and brown neighborhoods, a fence of technology that I understand the strategic deployment of it. I really do. I understand it. But to Ms. Pearson's credit and to her suggestion, I think it begs us to have a public dialogue as we implement it so that we can build bridges if we are going to institute these sorts of technologies. Because otherwise, it is the concerns of majority white individuals making offense around black and brown communities with technology, and that cannot be. It has to be in cooperation with our communities that are most affected by this. Now, that being said, I've had gunshots. I lay, I lay awake at night with my windows open. I can hear the gunshots where I live. Not everybody in, this, in these chambers can, can hear the gunshots where they live, but I can. And there are gunshots that have, have happened in the last year around my house. But, <clears throat> and there are times when I've received texts from my son in the middle of the day that says, I'm in such such neighborhood and there were gunshots that happened right down the block from me while I was working. Things like that, right? That we, that are affecting more and more people in our community. But again, it's been affecting our black and brown community for much longer. And we cannot forget that. I want to make sure that we also drive home that this is just one of many things that we know we're gonna be discussing to address gun violence in our community. We had a very rich discussion about what we'd like to do at our goal setting session, and that is not finished. That is a continuing process. But I do have concerns about a few of the pieces for, that were presented tonight, and I have been, my opinions over time have changed about some of the things and what I'm willing to do, and, and there are some things that I'm not willing to do this evening. But over time, having spoken to residents in the community who are really most affected by it, as well as other advocates about issues at hand, I have decided that I can support um, the video trailers and I can support the use of the cameras. Um, clearly they're, they're being used already. Some of them are being used already. But I do want us to take a further look at the policies and procedures and based on the questions that I had tonight, being more inclusive of what we have to um, say about what things like the areas, the, the recordings for public safety purposes. Being more specific in a general sense, I understand you can't say these five things or these very five specific events, but something that gives us more guidance about what we'll be using those for, um, for cameras and video trailers as well. I do have concerns about the hidden investigative cameras that we've been using, clearly, um, and that we're not, we as a council don't have any input on how those policies and procedures are actually implemented. 
My suggestion for that is that I understand if it's something that would need to be done in a closed session, where at least we have some eyes on it in a, some eyes on it from the city council. I don't know if that's allowable in closed sessions or not. But if it's not, then I really think that there should be some discussion about it because I feel like that's an important element that um, needs transparency. And I have concerns about that. Um, the, my largest concern tonight is in regards to the expansion of services that were suggested for the gunshot detection technology. I really don't think that the gunshot technology has been tested enough, nor do I think its efficacy is known. Um, and there are large question marks about it. Um, there were a few articles that were referenced this evening. A most recent article that was an AP News article uh, from August 2021, actually. Um, it's an, an article that's worth referencing. Um, and I'm just going to read a brief piece from it. It says, but an associated press investigation based on the review of thousands of internal documents, emails, presentations, and confidential contracts, along with interviews with dozens of public defenders and communities or ShotSpotter. Now, I recognize that's not what we're using tonight, but we are using a proprietary technology and this as a suggested technology, has been deployed, has identified a number of serious flaws in such ShotSpotter as evidentiary support for prosecutors. So if the whole point of this particular technology is to help support our investigations, which would then be used as prosecutorial evidence, if there are significant concerns about its use or its efficacy in that prosecution, then I really think that that should make us take pause about whether or not we should invest in this technology to begin with. That, that is outside of even our concerns about um, this as a civil rights issue, right? I mean, we can debate all day long about it as a civil rights issue, but its efficacy as an evidentiary tool is really at the core of what I'm talking about tonight. And so I, I, I have concerns about that. So I would not be in support of gunshot detection technology. The um, proposed operational policy for the, um, for the uh, license plate readers um, it is fine with me. But I was surprised, actually, about the proposed deployment of these. Because initially, when this was brought to us, and and uh, this was initially brought to us in, in April, actually, as individual council members to discuss a number of these items. And so this is not new. What I was surprised is that I actually thought that we were going to be getting tra like a trailer technology reader. Like there was like a technology that was on a trailer that would be reading. And we would strategically place the trailers throughout the community to read license plates. That's how I understood it as it was described to me. But that's not what this is. So I'm thinking that maybe there was a new technology that was identified that, I, that was not, that I didn't know about. So my concern with this particular technology is that we are going to be storing our data on a cloud that is not secure underneath our security system or underneath our protocols, but we're being asked to trust that an outside entity is going to be um, doing the right thing with our data. 
So I have reservations about that, and I would like to see additional information about the flock policies and procedures, and I'd like to see the written policies that they have about data management. Um, I'd like to see any agreements that they have with other outside law enforcement agencies that are at the federal level, if those are uh, in existence. Um, and I think that would be helpful for me to be able to make a final determination about that. So these are some of the comments I have about the, the items tonight, and I actually am looking forward to getting a little bit more information than the next time that this comes forward to us. Um, and thank you for your presentation tonight. It was very helpful for me and gave a lot of great information, and I um, appreciate the well-thought-out policies and procedures. I know that you modeled these off of um, previous policies and procedures that had been uh, you know, approved by council. And, uh, but I do appre appreciate that you brought them to us in such a detailed fashion tonight in an actual policy format. That was helpful. Thank you. Anyone else? Deputy Mayor Kyles. Uh, definitely want to thank you for uh, the presentation tonight. Uh, I'm going to be supporting the alternative simply because uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, um, we're using some form of uh, surveillance right now um, with the, the home cameras. You know, right now I know that we're kind of, you know, I mean, I guess it's not, it just doesn't equip the police force to really do their job when you're depending upon a business camera or someone else's camera from a neighborhood to, to, to be able to, to, to do anything. But I would be remiss if, and, and there's some contingencies that I have. Uh, I think uh, Council Member Beck talked about it. I, think I liked a lot of the things that she talked about. Um, I think that the details are gonna be in how the policy is written, our departmental policy. Um, and one that I saw specifically um, in our um, study session report in how third-party data is shared. Um, that's definitely something I think can be carved out in policy. I believe that um, one of the things that I would like to see is quarterly meetings or semi-annual meetings with the community that these um, license plates, I was going to say AP, LLPR, I think I said it right. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But I want to see a, a, a meeting and talking and, and, and discussing because that's rarely done, you know, as it pertains to around the country. You know, we have different tools that we use, but we don't have any update on how those tools are being used. And I think that increases the communication um, between the community and also um, police, police force. Uh, it's, it's, it's always the, the, converse, the comments that um, were made um, by Mr. Miller, by um, the things that were, were talked about earlier. I think uh, Councilmember Williams said some stuff, Alicia Beck. Um, the comments are, relic, are very, uh, even though they may be uncomfortable, they are very relevant. Um, a lot of times, 
these things are happening in black communities. So of course we want to be safe as well. We want police presence. We want uh, people, we, I mean, we want that safety. But on the other side, we also recognize that in asking for more police presence, you have issues kind of like what happened when we asked, you know, like the crime bill. And, and so we have more African-American males going to prison. And so that's the other side. And so we don't talk about that. So I think it's definitely important to talk about the relevancy and talk about the community, continue to talk about the community li liaisons and things along that nature, because at one point we're asking for more police presence, and then the other side is what happens when you know things go bad. And so I think it's important to talk about how this impacts neighborhoods, and particularly if these neighborhoods, if it's gonna be in Garden Hills, it's important to talk about how um, our citizens in Garden Hills will be impacted. I believe in, you know, doing what we need to do to make sure um, uh, people are safe. But I, I understand, you know, the impact. Uh, say, for instance, just basic, uh, um, and this hasn't, this didn't happen in, well, it happened in our community, but not with the Champagne Police. I understand kind of the, 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 the other side of the wide net is that good people are captured in the wide net. And I've had a couple people come to me and talk about that. And so I think it is important to not only talk, but as we're implementing um, these tools and these policies to put that, 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 that into equation so that we're bridged, ultimately we have a safer neighborhood, safer communities, but we also have, at, at the, at the end of that, we also have better relationships between community and police officers, not just the people that wear shirts and ties, but the people that decide to wear T-shirts and jeans. I think that's important and that's vital because you know how, you're not going to, even on a bad day, your issue is probably not going to be with me. Because it's just different, it's just, it, and it has nothing to do with me being on city council at all. It's just, I'm not going to handle it that way. I'd handle it a different way. But someone else may handle it differently. And then oftentimes, not pointing at you, but oftentimes, those are the people that we're, we're our citizens that handle it a different way are the reasons why we may be in a closed session or we may end up having these discussions. And so um, I wanted to, number one, yes, say that I do want to give this technology a try and see how it works. But I also want to, as been mentioned, include a community that's being policed by it. Because I think that's, um, I think that's important and I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. Thank you all. Councilmember Bruno. Uh, thank you. Um, first, I uh, would like to adopt all of the remarks made by Councilmember Beck. I agree with her about concerns about privacy. I don't think I agree with all the conclusions uh, that she came to. I may be willing to take different actions, but I absolutely agree with her concerns about 
the erosion of privacy. And we've done it to ourselves. We've willingly given up privacy rights as Americans decade after decade. And there's no getting that back in the bottle. I think if we had a public referendum right now on the Fourth Amendment, I think it would be repealed. I, I sincerely believe that even with an education campaign, the American public right now would say, well, if you got nothing to hide, you can come in and search in my house. Uh, and that troubles me a lot. Um, I'm going to vote that we pursue these technological advances, but I predict they will be eventually abused because that's human nature. Uh, while we're dealing with a gunshot problem now, 10 years from now it may be the shoplifter who got away on North Prospect and the store security is chasing them. Can we please see all the license plate numbers of the cars that went down Prospect Avenue? It'll be the subpoena from the divorce lawyer who wants to see the numbers of the cars that went down a certain road. It'll be an endless number of intrusions on our privacy. And what I hear the members of the community saying, go ahead, intrude. Um, I, safety means so much to citizens that they're saying, okay, search me. And that, I think we're, we're gonna see the damage from that maybe decades from now. But I think we will eventually see it. But what I see in the world around us is that people are buying devices to put in their living room that listens to every word they say and sends it to a company so that they can modify their marketing approach. And people, oh my God, they think nothing of it. I'm gonna put a microphone on the coffee table and it's gonna listen to everything that's said in our household. And no wonder I'm gonna get ads on the internet that reflect the things we were just talking about. How did they know that we were thinking about taking a skiing vacation? Well, maybe because they're listening to you. And how did, uh, how did the store know that I'd want these coupons? Well, because they've analyzed your last six trips through the cash register and you've let them. Because you wanted to get those rewards points at Schnooks. So you said, sign me up. I'll give you my cell phone every time I come in so you can track me. And State Farm and Progressive say, if you put this little computer chip in your car, we'll know whether you drive late at night into bad neighborhoods, whether you cur but they'll sell it as, we wanna see your braking habits and we want your teenage kid not to speed. But what they really know is, where do you go and when do you go there? And we're gonna base your insurance rates on that. And Americans just line up and say, I've got nothing to hide, you can follow me around. Um, so I'm gonna acquiesce to the cries of the community that say, we gotta do something about this. But I'm also doing it reluctantly as a, um, as a final act of surrender maybe to rights that I think we should have held more dear. And we will someday, our grandkids, will regret that, that we're doing what we, we're doing now. But we're doing it, and, and almost everybody, I just want people to think about what we're doing. 
is this really where we want to go? You know, in World War II, did we really want to take everybody who was of Japanese descent and lock them up? People were afraid. We'd been attacked. And so they wanted to round up everybody because of their ancestry and lock them up in concentration camps, Americans' concentration camps. Um, and now that we're letting Amazon and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter know everything about everything in our lives, it's no wonder that the public isn't crying out to the government and say, and you can follow us too. Whether it's the iPass for the tollway or the camera readers on the arterial streets. Uh, but I recognize that people in the community are saying, what are you doing about this gun violence? Unfortunately, I don't think this is going to make a significant dent in it, but I'm willing to do this because that's what the citizens who put me here want us to do. Uh, you know, the real problem might be that um, after Sandy Hook and the kindergartners being shot to death, gun sales went way up. After San Bernardino and the gun shootings there, gun sales went way up. After Aurora, Colorado, gun sales went way up. And gun sales have gone up year after year after year. And we can't figure out why we have people retaliating or resorting to the use of guns whenever they are, whenever they have an unsatisfied beef. Uh, that's the underlying cause. It, it's more about that than anything else, I think. But sign me up. Let's put the cameras up. Let's put the license plate readers up. Uh, maybe we should log into everybody's Alexis, uh, not Alexis, uh, Alexa. Alexa, call the police. Tell them what we were just discussing. Um, so if you're watching at home and your Alexa device just checked in with Amazon or whoever it is, Google, uh, you can blame it on me. That's all I got. Councilmember Palmer. <laughs> uh, so I think I think that's a, that's a good segue here because I, I think um, we we are a municipal government trying to solve a federal problem or what I see as a federal problem. Um, so I I want to be really transparent here. Um, I am still really struggling um, on on implementing cameras. Um, I hear community members asking for them, and I want to support you. Um, I understand the need to support officers who are suffering from severely understaffed um, departments, and, and, and I want to support you too. Um, however, or, or and, um, I'm terrified that everything that we are talking about increases the number of interactions between officers and assumed criminals. And, and I'm using the term assumed very intentionally here because um, I'm very scared about those outcomes of um, an, an assumption um, within 12 seconds um, that we have someone who um, is, again, an assumed criminal. And so uh, this is real-time data that, that gets adrenaline flowing and, and amps up the, those interactions. And so so I, I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I, I'd be interested in knowing if there can be some additional training to kind of um, reduce that, that amplified 
um, uh, visceral reaction to the information that's coming in. I, I don't know, as simple as, you know, asking officers to, to take 10 seconds to breathe, to make an assumption that this person is not a criminal and then engage with them. Um, again, I, I, I don't know what that training is. I do, however, think that it could be useful for us to talk about it with our officers and to ensure that those assumptions um, are momentarily set aside, are, are, are um, considered very carefully. Um, I'm also struggling with the fact that we are talking about funds that I think we're, we're very quickly kind of, kind of making decisions on and, and we're talking about the salary of, of someone we could hire for um, neighborhood services. And I'm not saying that we should not do this because of that. What I'm saying is I think that we should also as a council be as quick to hire another staff member for neighborhood services as we are to be quick to, um, to, to employ these additional tools. Again, these are all tools and very much like um, Ms. Pearson noted previously that this is uh, a part of the solution. It is part of uh, what we should be doing as, as a community to, um, to begin to, uh, to address things. Uh, just as my colleagues have said, we keep being asked what we're doing. This is, this is an additional step to addressing uh, community violence. So, so I guess um, all of that is to say <laughs> that I am supportive of, of all of these things. Um, I, I really like the idea of having, you know, a quarterly opportunity for, uh, for us all to see what's working and what's not working with these new technologies to engage um, uh, community members. I, I'm really interested in uh, hearing community feedback about specifically the camera policies. Um, so, so that is something else that I'm interested in. Um, but finally, just uh, thank you for all of your work on this. I, I do appreciate it very much. And, and it, it, I do think it will provide some vital tools to our community um, going forward. Thank you. Councilmember Gladney. So I think I'm voting yes on this, and I say I think because um, I too am struggling. Um, this has reminded me, this whole situation has reminded me that not every yes vote, speaking for myself, that I make is an enthusiastic yes vote. Um, this one tonight, if I, if I do end up voting yes, is a very much an unenthusiastic yes. Um, Councilmember Bruno stole some of my thunder when he was talking about, you know, sort of private um, or loss of our privacy through, you know, things we buy that listen to us and, and track us and whatnot. Um, I mean, you know, um, it's weird. I, I can't believe we're here, right? Um, and I'm not talking necessarily just about city council or the community, but just our society in general, that, I, that we just are um, under such a surveillance state. I mean, and, and not just from the government, but from corporations and everywhere. Um, it, I, 
I'm old enough, and I'm not as old as Councilmember Bruno, but I'm old enough to remember when it, it wasn't like this, you know? I mean, we didn't have the technology, for one thing, but um, yeah, I just can't believe we're here. Um, and we have had members of the community, um, you know, begging for us to do this, uh, you know, the cameras, the, um, I mean, license plate readers to an extent. It's interesting, we've had, I think, we've had some people talk to us about license plate readers in the sense of uh, speeding. Um, you know, can we catch speeders that way? Like, we go down st arterial streets really fast. And I don't, I don't think we even talked about that tonight. But, um, again, see, there's all these different uses that can start to go um, into effect. And, and, and it's weird. People, a lot of times, people under pressure make bad decisions. And we're all under pressure. Um, I'm not talking just about us, I'm talking about everybody. And, I, and there's a myriad of reasons why we are uh, under pressure as a society and as a community. And those all need to be addressed, and I know we are working on those. But I think, I just really worry that, you know, um, this is a bad decision that's made under pressure. That said, I honestly feel a little weird about having all this angst about this. And I don't like that I feel weird about it, but I feel weird because I feel like this is a train that's left the station. Uh, you know, kind of like Councilmember Bruno was talking about. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like people, uh, people seem to want it. People seem to be okay with all of this for the most part. I'm not saying there aren't any reservations, but, um, you know, this is... I guess it's going to be a tool that could be useful uh, on the back end of helping to solve the crimes that we have in the community um, to you know, use uh, for, with our uh, understaffed police department to help, to help them. Um, but I don't feel good about it. Um, but, you know, you look at a list of all the other municipalities that are implementing these, not just in Illinois, but nationwide, and I feel like, why am I, I feel weird for having this angst about it. I feel like, you know what, this is, um, this train has left the station. So, I guess I'm voting yes on it. It is one of the most unenthusiastic yes votes I've ever made on here. So, um, anyway, those are, those are my thoughts. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you for your presentation. I am voting yes tonight. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, there have been cameras on campus for a very long time, and nobody's had a problem with it. And I think we need this for our community. I, don't, I never heard anybody say that this is a long-term solution. Um, and I am willing to trust, I am willing to have faith that we are going to use this in a manner in which it has been um, stated. Um, I think you're going to work with us on policy. I love the idea about getting the community involved. I think if these are used in the intent in which they are mentioned and delivered and talked about, we're going to see a deterrent. We're going to see a decrease in potential violence and violence, we're going to see people feeling less vulnerable, and that's going to be the efficacy that we want. 
I'm less concerned about cloud management. I think we do it all the time. I think we see it everywhere. I think if we try to control this at a local level, we are more vulnerable to that data and data attacks. I don't think we would want it. I think we would want it on a secondary level to have that. Um, the investigative cameras, I think your protocol is your protocol when it is on that level of what you are trying to surveil. I don't know what you do. I don't want to have uh, a mention in how you do that if it's going to break up something that is endangering this community. Um, I, I hate that we're here simply because it means that we are vulnerable as a community. I think the optic that we are doing it now because it has moved into to other parts of the community, um, I, I'm, I, I, I hate that that is the optic because um, I think these conversations started long before that happened. Um, but I'm glad we're having them now and I'm glad that we can have them openly and respectfully and I, and I look forward to them continuing and I thank you for listening to us all. I thank you for staying here um, and um, for being along this journey with us. Thank you. Councilmember Williams. Thank you all for your excellent um, presentation. I have extreme reservations on, on, on this, extreme reservations as it relates to um, surveillance. Um, most of the streets you named were in my district that I serve in, and it's it's kind of tough because you understand how how it all came about when you when you we talked about it. I, we systemic issues. We understand that, and the and the why of it. Um, but as I digress, um, my constituents, most of my I won't say most of them, but some of them. They're looking. They want. They want surveillance. They want. Um, they want to feel safe. They. They. They don't want to um, feel like they can't go outside. Or, and I understand that. But I also understand the fact that, like some of our colleagues have talked about it, a a fence around that area. It kind of. It doesn't fit right with me. Um, needless. Needless to say. Uh, I'll probably vote no on this. I'm sorry. That's going to be me. Thank you. Councilmember Kyle. The only thing that I'll say, because I think it's the hours late and we have a closed study session, I think, um, it has nothing to do with the police officers. I, I thank you all for the work that you do. I think the bigger commentary is on society and how we as black people are looked at and how we're treated. And the gun violence, unfortunately, we talk, I think the realest conversation that we probably had about gun violence happened in goal setting, honestly. But until we start talking about how we're treated, how we're looked at, whether we wear a suit or we wear a t-shirt, then the issues that we, we, we bring about, it's just, it's, unfortunately, and I'm, on, I'm in city council, unfortunately, until we talk about why and how people systematically and, and have been treated over years outside of police, 
then it's going to be difficult to get believers. So that's why I said it has nothing to do with you all. I've had some great interactions. You know, I know that there's some bad interactions that happen, and you guys are judged by the bad, and we don't really talk about the good. But as far as gun violence and the reason behind it, I think that most of the time we're just scratching the surface, and we never really get underneath to clean the, to, to really get to the solutions. And so I just think that we got to keep on saying that because that's important to say if we really want to change our community. Councilmember Williams. I'm sorry. I will say if this is something that we decide on as a whole because just one vote does not cancel everything out, I hope there is a comprehensive plan to find a way, if we find ways to reduce crime, that this is not something that is going to be long-lasting, that's going to be forever, that it's going to be a temporary fix. That's just, that's, 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 that's just to make me feel better. I mean, to make everyone feel better. No one wants to be looked at for, none of, uh, it's tough. I'm sorry, it's just a tough, but I, like I said, but yeah, but yeah, but thank you. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, that was it. Anyone else? So thank you for a very comprehensive report. Um, I, I remember, because I was here when we talked about it, when we allowed U of I to use cameras on our polls in Campus Town, we, had, we invited ACLU to be part of building that policy, and they, were, they worked with us on it. So I was glad to see, John, that you said that you pulled a lot of what you did from, from that policy. I would suggest that we may want to reach back out again as we start implementing this new policy if this does go forward. Um, I would say um, the neighborhoods that um, we're saying, you know, if we're saying we're surrounding Garden Hills, I have received calls, I receive regular calls from Garden Hills neighbor, in particular one household that will email or call me every time shots are fired. They have asked me questions like, why are you relying on my ring doorbell? Um, why is the city not providing its own equipment policing? And not that we're not policing, I don't wanna leave that impression, but, but they feel like they're being held to the responsibility of providing investigative evidence for their neighborhood and they're very frustrated by it. And I think it is disingenuous to pretend like we don't look at camera data when what we do is we just go and gather it from the neighbors or we gather it from commercial areas and it's not of the quality that we need which probably leads to exactly what we're concerned about which is the wrong people being stopped and talked to. Um, I would rather have the even though it's government and i understand the concerns about government and giving up privacy at least we have control over the quality and the type and we are we have the information available to us instead of spending time after something happens trying to figure out what neighbor we might be able to get information from to give us a lead in our investigation um, that's the same for downtown businesses who have complained to me that when we had shots fired in downtown that we were looking to them to provide cam camera footage off of their commercial buildings. So we're using, the, we're using it. Um, 
so we might we might as well be honest about that let our community know that we're using it um, I think it's important to provide tools for our officers um, this is a, these this set of tools is something that a lot of time and effort has been put into determining what would best help um, with the with the crimes we are currently facing I trust the people who have done the research and come to us with um, what, what they are hopeful will make a difference in our community. I have to disagree with the notion that all we're doing is providing tools for our officers, that we're not doing anything on the other side um, relating to violence. We are. Um, and you know we had a study session in February um, that detailed a lot of prevention and in, um, interventions that we are working on as a city to make a difference on the, on the non-policing and to try to make a difference in people's lives in a way that it will, it will change what's going on with gun violence. Can we do more? You bet. Have we underfunded those programs um, or not had enough funds for them? You bet. Did we just have a goal-setting um, session, whereas lots of council members have talked about? We talked about putting a, a lot of um, ARPA money toward exactly those issues. And so I do believe this is, I won't call it a first step, because it is a continuing step in the work we've been doing for many years on anti-violence. This is just another tool that we are going to use to try um, to get at, at those root problems. Um, Mr. Miller suggested, you know, sort of the payment for information. We do have the Crime Stoppers Gun Bounty Program, but you know, you raised the issue of additional money, and they called me last week and said that, you know, they had been looking at programs in other cities that. Um, dramatically increased the number of tips and arrests that paid more and that they were going to be sending information to the city with requests for additional funding. Um, that's not really a topic for our study session tonight, but that's something I would support as well, um, particularly if they have data that shows that it's made a difference in other cities. Um, the LPRs, we have talked about them sort of being a fence, and they, they are, I don't want to dismiss the thought that they are really going to be heavily used in black and brown neighborhoods and in areas where we need to be sensitive to the dis potential disparate impacts. But when I look at the map, they are also being deployed in arterials, and they're, they're going to be throughout the city. So don't, don't be mistaken that if you're in the west part of our city um, that, that you will also come in contact with them. It's not like you're going to be able to just avoid them totally, um, at least when I look at, look at the map, if I'm understanding it correctly. It's going to be, they're going to be deployed throughout the city, um, other than south, but we're relying on Urbana for south. Um, and then uh, I would say I agree with the idea of getting community involved. 
letting them know this is happening, making sure they understand how it's going to be used, having going out and talking to the public, um, I think is incredibly important. But I ultimately, um, despite my concerns about the erosion of privacy and despite many past votes on this council against cameras and this types of technology, I agree with what council member Pianfetti said, which is that we, we need to be in a position to make our community feel less vulnerable and to be less vulnerable. We need our officers to have the tools they need um, to solve crimes um, and to have the potential to prevent crimes from happening. And I think that that is for sure our responsibility. And I am supportive. Um, and I'm supportive of the shot, shots, well, it's not shot spot or gunshot gun detection for a trial to see if it works. I know that it's been evaluated a few times by CPD. It's never come before us, I think, because of all of the, we're not sure about it and it's expensive, but this provides us with an opportunity to try it out and see if it's helpful and if it is causing problems or we are um, in any way harming the community by having it. So we, if we are overusing it in a way that is causing people um, to be disparately impacted, we will have an opportunity, it sounds like it may be the six month mark or before if we're having problems to review that. So our poll, I think we really have two polls. The first poll, is to direct staff to take steps necessary to implement ALPR and security camera technology in response to the escalating violence, including scheduling a two-year contract with Flock Safety for the lease of the ALPR system on a future regular meeting agenda for council consideration. So that's the first one. Councilmember Fulmer. Yes. 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 No. Does this include the gunshot detection system? No, too? that's next. That's okay. our next poll. The, yes. Yes. And yes, you have direction. The next poll is direction to implement the optional gunshot detection technology in the lease. Councilmember Iniguez. Yes. Based on ACLU's statement that they do not suggest the implementation of it, I say no. No. Yes. 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 No. Yes, you have direction. Thank you. Voucher. He did voucher it. Your Honor. Motion for closed session. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Your Honor, I move we moved into closed session to discuss matters of collective negotiation, followed by adjournment. Second. Uh, will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Fulmer? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Eningas? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Williams? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, we are recessed to closed session to be followed by adjournment.